It's a five-star podcast. Because we do it. What's real? What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the What's Real Podcast. This is episode 190. I am your host, Ed Demko, along with my co-host, cohort, co-conspirator, co-contributor, and my co-tag team championship partner in podcasting, the Jaboris himself. What's going on, the Bajoris J? Oh, very pumped up. Hey, Ed, as is necessary to bring the people the What's Real podcast, as we officially hit our episode count numbers in the 190s. Hey, Ed, welcome to episode 190, the countdown to the big two Hondo. Unbelievable, man. It seems like yesterday we were counting down to the first Hondo, 100 episodes of the podcast, and now we're counting down to 200. It is just crazy, but I'm I'm all pumped up. I'm actually as pumped up this week, hey, Ed, as Ethan Suplay. As uh, you'll explain further why that reference would make sense, but he was a fat fuck and now he's like ripped up. So you got to give him some respect and shout him out and give him one of the uh, pumped up comparisons for the What's Real podcast. So I'm going to go with the Ethan Suplay pumpness this week, Ed. Let's do the damn thing. I was confused. I thought you meant you were so pumped up you still can't find the goddamn sailboat. I'm so pumped up. I'm like seeing that type of shit in, <laughs> in art that's not made for that <laughs> dude very weird by the way is a total off put like off segment here uh remember when those were like a big deal for some fucking reason those goddamn stupid images it's like if you stare at it long enough you see the image like it, go, it goes in 3d there'd just be a bunch of idiots at the mall standing around staring at shit for no reason that was uh extraordinarily primitive vr of the time. <laughs> yeah. <I guess>. <laughs> so that's you you had to be very relevant at a time in 1995 to even get the joke that we're talking about, which is probably about three people listening, maybe if we're lucky. <laughs> yeah, uh, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Uh, but you probably remember it for the movie Mall Rats. But anyway, I digress. Uh, we have a good show lined up for you guys today. And oddly enough, that Mall Rats thing is going to come probably back full circle here shortly. That's uh, why we do what we do, hey, Ed. Come on. It, it is true. So, of course, we're talking NFL this week, including the season finale of the What's Real podcast, uh, football power rankings. So that should be fun. Uh, and, of course, we're going to go over everything from week 18, including the Pittsburgh Steelers versus the Ravens. And remember who told you that the Steelers were going to the playoffs. It was us last week, and we weren't wrong. So, uh, And also a debut of a brand-new segment, this is going to be something cool and a lot different from what what we normally do here. It's called What's Real Culture? And the first issue or first episode, I should say, that we're doing uh, is all about the movie Paid in Full and the real life story behind the movie. So that's going to be a lot of fun, too. And of course, we're going to be talking about some goofs as well. So let's just get into it. The J. Uh, I know that recently, uh, you know, this is we, we we're movie buffs to begin with, but this time of year especially, because and boy, does this really ring true today as we record on Tuesday. Uh, the weather outside is fucking terrible. Uh, it's a mess. So, of course, whenever the weather's like that, you don't really want to go out and do anything, or there's just not a whole lot to do. You tend to watch a shitload of movies. And I know that there was a movie this past week that both of us watched uh, that I think our opinions differed a little bit on it, but it still brings up a lot of interesting stuff. 
And that is a documentary called Clerk. Uh, and it's all about Kevin Smith and his career. Uh, and, you know, we've talked about Kevin Smith on and off here on the show. I wouldn't say that we're both huge fans. We, we're both huge fans of some of the stuff that he's done. And we both dislike some of the stuff that he's done as well. Uh, but the documentary is somewhat interesting, at least for portions of it. But I watched it. I told you about it. You ended up watching it. Uh, but, yeah, it's, a, it's pretty detailed as far as, you know, his career goes. I thought they just kind of glossed over some stuff a little bit quicker than I would have liked and spent a little bit more time on things that I didn't. But nonetheless, still glad I watched it. You know, I've heard about it and I got the opportunity to see it. Uh, and I know you did too. So what were you, your thoughts generally on on Clerk? That, that's what was cool for me, hey, Ed, was, you know me, I typically have the finger on my pulse of, of the pop culture stuff that, I, that I'm into, which, you know, is the whole premise of, of our podcast is the fact that we're like uber nerds and pro wrestling nerds and movie nerds and sports nerds and just throw us, you know, in into all this stuff. And I actually did not hear anything about this some way, somehow. And you kind of mentioned it to me in passing on all the different stuff that we talk about on a weekend, you know, typically right now we're talking about the playoffs and football and the Steelers and stuff, and we're bullshitting. And, and then you just happened to mention, yeah, I was watching uh clerk, this documentary on Kevin Smith, and we didn't even really get into it. You kind of just mentioned it because you had just watched it. And, and the long and the short of it is like it, it, it's like anything, man. I say this to you all the time. You you kind of plant seeds in my head, and then eventually they start blooming. And I'm like, oh, I gotta actually get on this, you know? Like, hey, Ed made me think of it, and now it's like, oh, I would love to watch a Kevin Smith documentary. So, uh, you know, found out, of course, it's on our uh, streaming service Tubi that we we promote because our film The Unsung's on there. Cheap plug when I have to. Hey, Ed, but but yeah, this this was really cool to delve into the life and career of indie filmmaking extraordinaire Kevin Smith. And uh, of course, being in as deep into independent filmmaking here in the Pittsburgh area for the last 15 plus years that I have, I always uh, am interested to see differing stories and bios and documentaries about the independent filmmaking process. So when you're talking about a guy that's an independent filmmaking icon, you know, a, a career that will never be repeated because of the time frame of it, I, I thought it was very, very enjoyable. And like you said, it had its flaws and stuff, but it, with an hour and 55 minute running time, it was a breezy watch. And I'm so glad that, you know, you had it catch my eye because uh, I really liked it. And I haven't visited anything Kevin Smith in a long time. And it kind of opened up that can of worms. Like right away after watching the documentary, my pick last night was Clerks 2. Cause that's one of my favorites and I haven't watched it in like forever in, uh, you know, promoting Tubi while we're at it. That was on Tubi as well. So, um, you know, it still holds up, man. The, the freaking donkey show scene at the end gets me every time a uh, really solid movie, but yeah, this was a really cool documentary. Yeah. It's really weird because not too long before I watched that, I ended up watching clerks three and, uh, for the first time I, that one, I just kind of avoided it to be honest with you. Cause I wasn't ex expecting it to be too great. And, uh, you know, I thought it was okay. Like, I, I didn't think it was great, but I did think there was, you know, some really good stuff in it. You know, yeah, I was his, his I movies it. do typically have heart. It's at yeah. the foundation of them for the and, most part. And, and, do, and I will say this. I mean, say what you want about Kevin Smith, like him or hate him. But like Clerks is without a doubt one of the absolutely most important movies from the 1990s for sure. Like that movie was it really nails down a time period and. 
you know, like I don't like when people say like, oh, Kevin Smith's a voice of a generation. I mean, because he's really not. But like that movie, though, certainly fits in that mold. Like the rest of the stuff, like I'm a firm believer. Like I really like Clerks. I like Mallrats a lot. I like Chasing Amy a lot. Uh, but like after that, it's like I, I like Zach and Miri. I think that's pretty good. Um, but I, I stand by it when I say that that's probably the last decent movie that he made. I think everything else is like all over the fucking place with him. Um, and some stuff is just flat out terrible. Like that's that's weird because I remembered you being a big fan of Cop Out. Uh, you mean a couple for, of dicks? For, for those that don't know, I'm being sarcastic, of course. Which is funny because I remember him promoting that as like a couple of dicks, and then they were like, "We can't put that out." And I'm like, "Meanwhile, it's like, yeah, dude, it's really weird because like Kevin Smith isn't like a super controversial guy." But then you look at his career, and it's like he was going to come out with a movie called A Couple of Dicks. They wouldn't let him do that. He came yeah, out he kinda with was Mary, make when a you porno, look at it. Couldn't yeah, put they it out change like the that. title. Yeah. Made a movie named Dogma, which everybody, which is the really Catholic weird. Church freaking and, did a dude, complete picket line. And it's bizarre just for us, too, because obviously when you think of Kevin Smith, you think of like Jersey. But like he made Dogma and Zack and Mary here, weirdly enough. Um, so there's Jersey girl is a good movie. I, I like that movie. It's all right. Like it's, it's like he even says, he's like, I, my, this was my attempt of making a, not a Kevin Smith movie. Right. Like a hol- like traditional holiday or holiday Hollywood rom-com kind of. Yep. Kevin Smith version. I mean, I like it cause you know, G- George Carlin's in it. Like he had a pretty big role that's what in I mean. that. So that's kind of right. cool. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's stuff about Kevin Smith that I like. I'm not a big fanboy or anything like that, but you know, I definitely like some of his stuff. Uh, and the, and of course too, they talk about a lot of his recent ventures with like podcasting and, you know, stuff. And it of course doesn't cover like the last couple years of his life. So there's nothing with clerks three. There's nothing about like the, the movie theater that he purchased, but I was even reading something about that the other day saying that it's like struggling to stay afloat unless they do special events um but it's you know it's a weird time for that kind of stuff anyway and they they kind of get into that a little bit too in the article that i read but um but you know yeah i mean it it, it was worth watching i'll put it that way as far as the documentary goes like it was out there and i'm like i haven't seen this so i might as well watch it and i feel like at this point i've seen everything that he's done so for better or for worse but you know it's just I, I always like now I'm getting to the point where I'm kind of wary with his stuff because I know what it is. And, you know, it's not he's definitely out of Hollywood by far. He just self-finances a lot of his stuff now. Um, so it's, you know, it's a lot of it's just rehash stuff. That's what kind of annoys me with him is he just works with his friends and Jay and Silent Bob movie again and that kind of stuff. And it just it's like he's beating a dead horse. But I mean, I understand it because. We've talked about this before on the show with other people. Like, you know, he ain't getting money to make other shit. That's what he's getting money to make. Yeah, that, and that's what he talks about in this documentary regarding his career, not just as a filmmaker, but having longevity is the fact that he was able to branch off, you know, the flow of the show. Like you said, hey, yeah, everything comes together. Talking about us being uber nerds. Of course, Kevin Smith is along those lines too. And, you know, he could kind of go off into podcasting and things. And and he was one of the, you know, he was at the forefront of that. He was one of the pioneers, uh, the Smodcast with like Adam Carolla and Joe Rogan and all those kind of guys, Mark Marin. As far know, as like kind of original. People. 
yeah. name yeah name original kind of pioneers that that made podcasting as popular as it is today and now as we we sit buried in the ether with with our little Jesus. show but uh you know it still gives you some semblance of a voice but nonetheless yeah like you said just surmising uh this quick little documentary watch i i really um enjoyed it just for for even the motivation that it continues to give me things like this as an independent filmmaker to just go for it you, you know you kind of learn about the hollywood system and you know you have so many stories from people that that were like this that were kind of doing their own thing and then they have the big hit that puts them in the limelight and they get these different opportunities and, and talking about specifically cop out and the hollywood experience of directing a big budget hollywood movie with a, a hollywood acting legend that was bruce willis and him saying just this, those were dark times because, of course, he famously had a, a horrific time on on that film and, and it was a bomb and everything else that went in the, into that. But, you know, it shows you Kevin Smith's resiliency, too. You know, that's the thing about this that, that stood out was it wasn't your, just your Cinderella story. You know, there's a lot of ups and downs all, all the way into his real life of suffering a massive heart attack where I, I think it was fortunate that he did have it on stage in front of so many people and they could act act quickly as, as opposed to, you know, being in a situation where you might be isolated, having that kind of a medical scenario it could be a whole different thing. So, you know, all of that's interesting stuff. But, you know, at the end of the day, again, I, I reiterate, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned it. Hey, Ed, because I haven't really visited the ask you universe like i said in some time and it kind of got me back in there and uh and i enjoyed the documentary yeah it's uh it's interesting too because he's been around so long that like you know some of the people in his movies have passed on too so like that's you know you're not gonna be able to make movies about like 65 year old guys and shit so you know it's and too, we've talked about this before, too. Like, once you start making movies, and I mean, Kevin Smith's somebody that's made a handful of movies at this point. Um, you, and he even kind of mentions it in the documentary where you almost get to the point where you feel like you don't have any more stories to tell. That's why you'll see, like, people make movies for years and years and years, and you're like, I wonder what happened to him. And it's like, yeah, there's just not really any story they want to tell. And yeah, at the end of, of the day, it's... They'll show up again and make something, and then you'll see the director talking about it, and he's like, yeah, I was really compelled by this script or this thing that I wrote or this guy came to me with something and I thought it was really good. So it's time to jump back in the director's chair because, you know, like you can't as a filmmaker, you know, this too, the Jay, like you can have all the aspirations in the world. But if you were like, oh, man, you know, like I made this movie, I made this movie, I'd like to make a horror movie. And then you can really branch out to be like, yeah, I want to make something like Star Wars or I'm going to make a Western. And it's like, well, Good luck, because unless somebody's coming at you with a $200 million budget, you're probably not going to be able to do something like that because it's an epic type thing. So, like, you can make want to make all the shit in the world. It doesn't mean you're going to have the opportunity to make it. Right. Yeah, that's what I was saying. At the end of the day, it's an art form. And because he mentions that in there, he's like, I was I was done. He's like, I washed my hands of it and I didn't make a movie for three years. Yep. And you kind of forget about that. And he was just doing the podcast thing and he had made enough money to keep himself afloat and that, that sort of stuff. And, and he creates the, the podcast empire that he did. And, and then lo and behold, on a random episode of said podcast, they start talking about this idea with this podcasting character and he ends up being turned into a, a walrus by a mad scientist. And next thing you know, he's making a 
his first feature in three years based off of this wacky idea that was brought up on a, a podcast that becomes the film Tusk. So, you know, love it. Like you said, love it or hate it. To me, it's still inspirational. It's still cool shit. I, I love the one quote that he said in there. He's like, yeah, it's kind of weird. I'm watching my my movies because I'm a fan of these because these movies have all the shit that I like in them. Yeah, like I wonder why. Yeah, and that's and, and I I respect that. L- l- like it or, or don't, you know. And that's that's something I've been trying to do for for like I mentioned o- over a decade. So all all power to Kevin Smith. But uh, again, for for somebody that's kind of been off my radar for a while, uh, I appreciate you just randomly. Uh, bringing him back into our lives here. And, and that's why I mentioned to you, like, let's give it a little time on the show because, you know, I've always been, I'd say I'm uh, more of a Kevin Smith fan than you. And I am more of a Kevin Smith fan of, like you said, his past stuff, but nonetheless, that independent filmmaker maker in me has nothing but all due respect for Kevin Smith and the career that he forged for himself. Yeah, of course. I mean, I respect anybody that comes from like the independent world like that you know i mean regardless if i love all this stuff or not like i you know one of the most important movies made in the 1990s was something he made for thirty six thousand dollars. so like that's yeah preserved in the library of congress and everything yeah and dude i remember like i didn't see clerks till it came out on video but like i remember it getting like a massive buzz there were two i remember that yeah from that time period i remember being like that were like that in kids they were like movies that like didn't like they didn't look like what I was used to at the time. Like they didn't have really anybody famous in them or anything. And I remember them getting like a lot of critical acclaim. Uh, obviously, you know, kids was a little bit more controversial, but like you were just hearing a lot of stuff about them and people were like, yo, these two movies just kind of came out of nowhere. They weren't really made by Hollywood. And, you know, the only time before that, that I would have been really familiar with stuff like that would have been, you know, like genre stuff. Because, you know, you didn't right. see a lot of dramas and comedies and stuff that were made independently, especially then. Because you have to remember, too, this is be- way before the Internet. So, like, things like that just didn't, you know, it, it wouldn't get to your video store. So how the hell would you even find them? And we were too young to, like, go to the art house theaters and stuff like that. So, you know, that was almost, they would let you want to talk about films that were literally out of our reach at that time period. That's where a lot of that stuff would have fell. But those movies ended up in the video store. We ended up seeing them. And then that kind of like opened up my mind to like, oh, like there's a whole world of movie making that's not related to genre film. And it's also not related to Hollywood either. And, you know, they're they're two of the most outstanding movies from that time period. And, you know, there's it would lead to literally an unnameable amount of movies like that through the years since. Yeah, it's not just set down in front of you, put in front of you with the box office. The, these six films are the ones showing. Here's the show times. It's like you have to do a little bit of work, you know, especially back then, like you said, the day and age of, of tape trading and, and VHS and things, because we always talk about our pro wrestling tape tape trading but there was also uh tape trading involving films back then oh, yeah. because yeah. of what you're talking about pre-internet well, dude, <laughs> it seems like I, the dark ages but yeah without the internet it was word of mouth and if you wanted a physical copy sometimes it was a tape of a tape of a tape dude i remember vividly uh and i was never a big comic book guy like you know that with me um but i remember years and years and years ago going to comic book conventions 
And the only reason I really went is because maybe there was somebody there I wanted to meet because they would have actors and actresses there occasionally. Uh, but I was also going to like pick up bootlegs. That was a big thing for me. Like used to be able to get a lot of different TV shows on bootleg, used to be able to get movies bootleg. Uh, that's how I saw Cannibal Holocaust for the first time was through a bootleg. Uh, and just, you know, just a, a whole myriad of stuff like that would be available to you. Or you would even find in like, they were really good at doing this too, where it'd be like four for 20 and shit like that. Yeah, so, of course. So yeah. you'd, you'd grab like, the, you know, like Cannibal Holocaust. Okay. That's something I wanted to see. And then maybe another movie like that. And then you would just want to get the other two. So you'd just be looking at stuff and you'd be like, well, what looks interesting to me? All right, I'll try this. All right, I'll try that. You know, and then. You'd end up with like some really weird stuff. Like that's that's totally how I started getting into a lot of like weird Japanese horror and stuff. Like things that just were not on my radar at all, or just things that you know you might read about in magazines and stuff at the time. But like again, they weren't out here. But then you see them there, and you're like, oh shit, I was just reading about this. Like, dude, I remember oddly enough, uh, like Dog Soldiers was something like that. Like I remember reading about that in Fangoria. And then I just found, randomly found a, a copy of it and was like, "This." I was like, "I was just reading about this. I can't believe that I can get this right now." Yeah, because so, that was a British British film from the UK. Yeah, Neil Marshall uh, did that right. one, and uh, you know there was a lot of. I, I kind of missed that in a way because, like, with the internet and stuff now, it's, like, there it's information's everywhere. So, like, there's yeah, less. but it's still there. We've talked about yeah. that. Like, oh, yeah, it's there, still That's there. the thing. There's so many streaming services and there's so many things on YouTube and everything else. It's like, you know, you, you have to do the work in a different way mm -hmm. than, than what we were saying. You know, it's not as, as physical media, but just like, like you're saying, it's out there. But some of this stuff you kind of have to find, you know, so it's like still kind of like that because, you know, we talk about there's those things with the algorithms on the streaming services. Of course, take Netflix as the prime example that it's like based on your watching habits, you might like blank. And yep. typically for your boy, it's never something I'm in the mood for or something I'd even like. And, yeah. and you and I have always talked about like the next version of that being like the very personalized version where you're like, oh, shit, like this. I can't believe I didn't see this. And they put this one in front of me, you know? Well, it's like you were thinking about titties the other day. We recommend to you Showgirl. Yeah, there's, it's there's like, uh, the entire Andy Sidaris catalog. Yeah, <laughs> which is, dude, I'd, I'd be, be all honest, for it. <laughs> it's the, the recommendations that Tubi gives me is fucking crazy because I'm like, oh, I'm sure. Yeah, they, so like, well, out dude, there. they pull up some shit that I'm like, oh, fuck, this is on here. Like, yeah, dude, I'm I am. I will say this, man. I'm not a big fan of streaming. You know that. I know that it's a necessary evil and stuff, and I'm I'm still a big proponent of physical media. We both are. Yeah. But, like, I absolutely love Tubi. Like, the selection on there. It's Yeah, Tubi's cool. It's not going to be for everybody, but for me and, like, the weirdo shit that I like. And, and Tubi fits, like, a, a blind spot that yeah. other streaming services does not hit. They don't hit it at all. Um, and there's stuff on there too that I'm like, I don't even think this was released on anything, and yep. and they'll have it for some reason. And I'm like, okay, that's great. Like, whenever I want to watch something that's weird, like I told you, I just watched South Central the other day, uh, which we would remember as a movie that used to play on HBO all the time in like the, the early time. to mid '90s. 
And like, it was just randomly on there. And I'm like, holy fuck. Like, I haven't thought about this movie in ages. And I watched it and it held up horribly. But nonetheless, I was still happy to go back and rewatch it again. You know what I mean? Like, there's, like, the Sidar stuff was like that. Like, I remember when we first kind of found, to, like, we knew Tubi was a thing. But, like, we actually got it and started looking through it. And it was like, I can't fucking believe what's on here. Yeah, it's awesome. And it's free. Yeah. And it's free, and I'm part of the Tubi family. Hey, Al. Indeed, you absolutely. And in turn, are. you kind of are just by association. So yeah, so that's uh, this has been a uh, 25 minute commercial for Tubi. I was just going to say support Tubi. Watch the unsung today. It's take Tubi. Holler at your boys. We need some sponsorship. That would be fucking fantastic. But uh, but yeah, man, it's uh, it's been interesting. Like I've, dude, I'm, I've actually watched more movies this month than there's been days so far. Kind of getting back into the physical media of it all, which is and, and good and bad, dude. I've been kind of like, you know, like watching a lot of like I I think I told you, and I don't know how much I've talked about it on here, but it's like I don't buy physical media nearly as much as I used to because you have to order it most times online, especially for the stuff that we like. But whenever I go to conventions and stuff, I usually pick up like stacks of stuff. And I've recently, like the last month or so, really started digging into a lot of the stuff that I purchased in the last year or so, plus a few Christmas gifts, which has led me to what we're talking about and what's real culture today. Uh, but like, it's really kind of got me wanting to buy more physical media again, which is cool, but boy, that fucking sucks. Because <laughs> yeah. nowadays, dude, it is bonkers, dude. Like, I'll see st- like companies put shit out on like 4K with a Blu-ray. And I'm just like, dude, they want like fucking like you when you're all said and done, like if it's not off Amazon, like you're ordering from a company and add shipping and stuff. It's like, dude, this one movie is going to cost me like fifty two dollars. Like this is fucking crazy. And I got some kind of bad news for you because you segue that. Hey, Uh so I I shouldn't tell you this, but I I know you'll be strong because you have good willpower. Okay. today, as we record on January 9th. Guess what started? One of those uh, bi-yearly things that, that we bring up to each other. Is it it's Criterion? The, yeah, it's the Barnes & Noble sale. So Arrow, uh, 50% off. It's, it's between, I think, today and February, like the first or second week of February. So. It's, is it just Arrow or is it Arrow and Criterion? I'm pretty sure it's Arrow and Criterion. Because I, for some reason, thought Criterion was in February, but I might be wrong on that. Because uh, I know it's in November every year. That I know for sure, but I, yeah, basically what that means is my ass is going to be at Barnes and Noble in like a week to be like, like once I get paid, I'm going to be like, oh, let's go see if there's anything I need and I'll yeah, pick up uh, some shit. Guess what's on there, which is another triple dip for your boy, the J talking about Uber nerds and loving physical media. Okay. But, but there's a new arrow collection uh, entitled, I got to bring it up. I, I apologize with the power of our sponsor, the interwebs, but it's a, uh, it's called the Conan Chronicles. So it's uh, Conan, the barbarian and Conan, the destroyer arrow releasing in 4k. Dude, has anybody ever released a full box out of those? No. So this is it. Yeah. That's weird that they, you know, that that hasn't been done yet. Like talk about companies want to double and triple dip, but they can't give you like a nice box set of something. It took till like 4k for that to happen for some and that's conan it's not fucking 
like you know savage streets or something like that it's I like know, something it's, that's, it's it's like off the bat too it's like i started looking at some of the that criterion and they're 30 percent off select okay. criterion okay and they have to die for train spotting midnight cowboy i don't have i'm like motherfucker yeah they always I mean, get you hey you know. yeah because dude criterion has a lot of shit in their catalog and it's like like, dude, somebody was talking about this recently too, because I guess the, you know the Criterion Channel. There's an actual like stream. Yeah, I was I was have. interested. There's a free trial of that I have that I um, haven't pulled the trigger on. But they put Ken Russell's The Devils up, and people were spazzing out because they were thinking that maybe it's the uncut version, which it's yeah. not. And then people, are, of course, are like, "I wonder if we're finally gonna get a 4K of that." But like, that's one of those movies that like fucking Warner Brothers has been brutal about forever. Because they just don't want to release it, and it's 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 an amazing movie. It might be the best thing that Ken Russell's ever done. Uh, but like, yeah, The Devils is absolutely amazing, and it's ridiculous that that movie's been kind of buried in time. I mean, it's a movie with Oliver Reed and Vanessa Redgrave, and it was made by Ken Russell, and it was made by Warner Brothers, and it was a massive production. And they just want to bury it because of you know some of the subject matter in it, and it's stupid. Uh, it's a movie from 1971, guys. It's not like, you know, this is something that didn't exist or anything. It's just, and again, it kind of gets back into what we were just talking about, man. It's why physical media is important with stuff. Because, like, if somebody decides on a whim, they don't like the subject matter in a movie. And if a studio owns that movie, they could bury it forever. They don't yeah, have to lost. do anything with it. And they won't sell off the rights. They'll just bury it. They don't want anything to do with it. And they will just suppress it. And that's terrible. That's, I mean, in 2024, dude, we should not be talking about movies that are unavailable anymore. Like, we really shouldn't. I mean, as long, I mean, granted, I get it. Some things are really, really bad and no one cares about them. And that's not what I'm talking about here. But there's still movies that have not been released essentially since their VHS releases. And that's insane to me now with, and like you said, Wait, but meanwhile, you've you've had the opportunity to purchase the same movie on different formats fucking 50 times. Literally. I'm not even saying that to be like, dude, if you bought every fucking version of The Evil Dead that came out since DVD, you've probably bought 30 plus movies. Just all yep. Evil Dead. Another one in here, too, in the Arrow sale is The Warriors 4K. Dude, I'm glad you brought that up because I actually need to get that because I have the Blu-ray of it. And as you know... It's the director's cut, which I fucking hate. Hate. Yep. It's so, dude. I've, ne I swear to God, just thinking off the top of your head, dude. Can you think of another director's cut that literally ruins a movie more than that one? Nah, it's probably the top one. Because what the, a lot of uh, a lot of people would say Star Wars, of course, with but George were, Lucas. Were those? I was gonna. Ask, that was literally the next question I was gonna ask you. I was gonna be like, were those Star Wars reissues with the CGI and all the bullshit in them? Are those considered the director's cut now? I get. I mean, there's different versions of those because of the way they were were, were released on physical media. Because the original box set was a VHS box set yep. that was thx enhanced and all that yep so i don't know if they consider those the the definitive director's cut or what well those would be the theatrical cuts because at I this point understand. the home is like you said everything's streaming on disney plus yeah but uh it's funny because Mar mall rats is is on here too and i don't have i don't even think a dvd of that and i haven't watched it forever so yeah i think your boy idiotically 
You really also don't be have that on by, DVD. Barnes and Noble. <laughs> I doubt it. I don't think so. If if it's up buried in my attic, then I'll so still be support it. getting the fifty percent off. Yeah, Weird Science is on here, man. Shaw Brothers presents four films by Chang Chen. Oh uh, so yeah, a Shaw Brothers arrow. So yeah, I'm gonna have to give yeah. myself a budget. Maybe go up there with like a Honda to Barnes and Nobles tomorrow. Yeah, I might actually do that myself now that I think about it because I I was waiting until I get paid, but I do have some uh, spendable Christmas money. Uh, which uh, might- they have, uh, if, if you're lucky, they have the Enter the Video Store one on here. It's that collection I have for fifty percent off. Which one was with that like, again? It's the one with like Arena and Cellar Dweller. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Wow. That's the last amazing. Starfighter. Tremors. Yeah. I mean, dude, Arrow does man, good stuff. Shit, man. They've done, yeah. Arrow's been doing good stuff for a long time. They were cruising. Shout out to Runk. Yeah, cruising's great. I would actually buy that because I, I think. Brain I'm, damage. Oh, the Henenlotter movie, huh? Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, so this could All be really... I'm going through the catalog, man. It's crazy. Th- this, this could be horrible. Dude, I uh, I do recommend Arrow has a really nice uh, true romance set. Yeah, that's on here. Yeah. I have that. That's really good. There's a lot of good stuff on there. Uh, there was something else that I bought from Arrow, too. Like one of their last... Maybe it was Creepshow 2. I think I bought that from them. And I don't Yeah, know. I have that. I have Creepshow 2. I have Mary Shelley's Frankenstein of Arrow. I have uh, the big American Werewolf in London set. That was a that's, dip. That's one I actually would like to get because I have not bought. I th- I got the uh, like the budget Blu-ray of that one, which is fine, but there's like nothing on it. So like, yeah, yeah there's, I, I there's a couple. That. There's a couple random horror movies that I don't have on on anything physical in here too, like Society, and you know, on Hair Arrow. Did yeah, you? Yeah, but see it's that? like a special. Yeah, I, I and, watched it on. Um, Joe Bob. The last driving, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's all right. I'm not. It's all right. Fan. I'm just saying there's some of those ones that, you know, just for the collection, like we always say. Yeah, I mean, it's if you if it's something you absolutely like I'll I'll support something like that over triple dipping on something any day of the week, you know, like Yeah, yeah, right. Something you don't have at all. Yeah, because like, you know, you could like I understand you might want a four K of something, but like if you have the Blu-ray, the Blu-ray's fine. It's not like right. it looks like dog shit and you can't even watch it anymore. Like now there are DVDs that really don't look good at all. Like yeah, that's it's worth whole, upgrading. Yeah. Like I do have some DVD. Like, dude, I've been um I think I was telling you, I watched the uh rewatched the Kolchak movies recently, and I have those on Blu-ray from Kino. Yeah, Lover. I have those I have those on DVD. And those are great, but I have the uh the series on DVD and I started rewatching those. And like I'm like, yeah, it's it's probably time to upgrade to at least Blu-ray on the TV show because these aren't looking too great anymore. Yeah, because so. those those never came to a streaming service, the Kolchak stuff. It, oddly enough, no, because if I remember correctly, I don't know if it still is or not, but you They're know, rights. Well, you know, Me TV. Me TV. Like the, no. It's it's like a, a over the air channel, like you know, like, okay, like you know, like the local news channels have like. 2.1, 2.3, 2.5, and it's like they're all different channels. But like Me TV was like one that showed like classic TV shows, and it was on there uh, for years. I don't know if it still is or not because I don't even have it anymore. But uh, but yeah, I thought maybe you know, like a lot of the Dan Curtis stuff is out there. So like I'm surprised that, and I remember years ago too, they used to show it on Sci Fi uh, all the time. 
But yes, yeah, since the the hard copy releases have come out, it's kind of disappeared a little bit from television. So, and I it's my favorite horror show of all time. So I would absolutely double dip on that. And I would literally take my DVD set and just pass it along to a friend or somebody that like you know hasn't seen it or might feign some interest. I'm like, here, just take this. Yeah, and you good can, luck you with can that. That that fictional person because I always look look for that type of person. Well, you I know, do. I'll, I'll go back, like, for example, with, with what I'm talking about, getting the Arrow Conan thing, and I already have the Blu-rays, so I would definitely be down to give away the the DVDs, you know, but it's like, who the hell am I going to give those to? Yeah, that's true, too. Like, I mean, I'm always down with shit like that, too. Like, me and you should probably do that sometime. I'm like, dude, I have some shit. Do a swap off. Yeah, like, here, I brought all this crap for you because I know you don't have it, and then you're like, here, I found all this stuff and figured you might want it. So, you know, it's... Because, dude, there's a lot of stuff that, like, let's be honest, too. Like, even if if somebody gave you a DVD of it, you'd be like, this is fine. Like, I don't need to yeah. upgrade on it. It's just so I could watch it or I have it in the collection now. I don't really need to upgrade it unless I absolutely love it. And it's something I want to watch, but it's probably not something I'm going to love. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But nonetheless, you know, these are the the trials and tribulations of physical media collectors, if you guys haven't noticed, which is... We're a rare breed, I will say that. It's something that, like, I think a lot of normal people, especially with streaming and stuff now, would, like, look at us and be like, what the fuck are you guys doing? But this has been probably one of our longest-running collections. You know what I mean? Like, out of all the stuff that we both collect and everything, like, movies were probably there before anything else that we really collected. Because they were, you know, like, a lot of the stuff that we collect and stuff now, like, for example, like, sneakers... Like, I couldn't afford that shit when I was younger, like I can now. But movies were always something that we always put our money into, no matter what. We were just movie buffs. So we just, yeah. as soon as we had the ability to do so, we did. I, I still remember going into college, and it was in my head to start collecting VHS. And that's when DVD started coming out. And I was like, oh, well, there, that's perfect timing. There's this new medium. And I could just start collecting these from from scratch, you know. So it started in, in college. Yeah, that's probably and about here. We it are twenty, you know, twenty plus years later of of collecting. I'd say yeah, we've probably hit the twenty five year mark with our collecting and stuff. I mean, there was stuff before that, but it was way more aggressive when once yeah. DVD hit, you know. And, that, and that's what happened. It's like, man, you pretty much collect most of the stuff you want, but there's still always going to be stuff slipping through. You know, just like this era collection kind of stuff we're talking about and the sales and you'll find stuff that you don't have and there's still stuff to buy. And then I typically my, my thing is I've told you this for years. I, I typically blind buy movies that I would have seen in the theater that I don't have time to like a prime example currently would be Oppenheimer. Yeah. For example, you know, of course, I got that on Amazon through 4K. You know, I ended up getting Bar- Barbie because we wanted to watch that as a family and stuff. So like there's still those blockbusters that i know i want in the collection that i'll grab and things like that but it's definitely farther and in between than than the height of of collecting it was pretty much like every friday paycheck a chunk of it would go to hard copy films yeah that was that was absolutely how i used to do things man like once i get paid i'm like yeah i'm definitely going to buy something or order something like i remember this will be a blast from the past Remember the deep discount DVD sale every year that they would do? Yeah. So it's like you would order a stack of shit from them. Yeah. And and like they would have wrestling DVDs too on top of that. So you'd like catch up on that shit and then grab movies on top of it. And 
you know, it was a fun time, man, like with DVDs especially because there was, that was like for the first time a lot of stuff, like there was plenty of stuff that was released on VHS, but with DVD, it was the first time they were being released, like cleaned up with special features. It's like, granted, I understand Laserdisc was before that, but none of us, like, like we didn't have the ability to have Laserdisc. We were too young uh, and it was too expensive. Uh, so like DVDs were the first time we really got it. And I remember at one point, like that's when I, I knew that they had them before that, but I was, that's when I really got into like director's commentaries and stuff. Yep, and, exactly. Like, and it, it, there's replayability with stuff too. Like there's stuff that I have that I've never listened to the commentary on, but I would. So like, you know, once you've seen a movie so many times, you'll pull something out and you'll be like, you know what? I'm going to listen to this with one of these commentaries on it. And sometimes it's pointless and kind of boring. And other times it's like fucking revelatory, like the amount of stuff that you find out about movies. And and if you absolutely love a movie, that's one thing to this day I will always stand up for is like all the special features on stuff. Because I I like want to go back and watch like documentaries about it. You know, sometimes they'll throw like a whole slew of other shit on there too. So it's like, this is really cool to have. Like, I like that. It's and it's frustrating too whenever you want to go get a new copy of something and you're like this doesn't have fucking anything on it like not even a fucking commentary track. yeah we call those bare bones yeah and that's brutal we those bare bones releases and that's why I will pay a little bit extra through you know Criterion or or Arrow or you know Vinegar Syndrome or all the other Severin and all these other companies because they do put time into their product and they're more for people like us like film buffs and stuff. They're not really made for, I mean, you know, they're, it's not like there's 50 different versions of it out on 4K or Blu-ray, but those are like film buff companies who care about the products they put out and they put them out for people like us who like can't get enough movie shit when it pertains to their releases. Yeah, that's what it is, man. That's but, the whole premise of Criterion. Yep. They, they put out the best, most expansive editions of things with all kinds of bells and whistles. And, you know, we've, we've championed them on here since day one. If you go back and listen to, like, shows from 2020, we're talking about Criterion Collection and how good they are. So, And they, they were around for years before we ever even did a podcast. So, uh, you know, we've been fans of theirs for a really long time. And they've, they've made some really good editions of stuff that, you know, otherwise probably wouldn't have received any kind of release or that type of attention. So we, we definitely appreciate what they do there for sure. Um, but guess what, the J? We are up against our very first commercial break. And whenever we come back, it's time to get into the everything, the final season or final week of the season of the NFL. Of course, we're going to talk Steelers, Ravens, predictions. We're going to talk the playoffs. And of course, we're going to give you our final regular season uh, power rankings as well. So stay tuned for that and much more. We'll be back right after this right here on the What's Real Podcast. Join us next week for episode 191 of the What's Real Podcast. The NFL season rolls on as the playoffs begin, and it is time for the NFL wildcard round. And on What's Real Culture, we're going to take a look into our personal experiences in independent filmmaking. Then it's the return of the What's Real film segments, and we're starting off with a doozy. Because it's back. It's Fridays at midnight with a doozy. It's the one and only Kid and Play with Class Act. Ha! This is Timothy J. 
Days with the Whisperer Podcast in full Season 5 mode, representing Gooster Goose, specifically Gooster Goose 191, where the guys get crazy and funny, talking about controlling lasers through eye-tracking technology, guys licking ass at SmackDown, guys slamming dunks, Snorlax. Oh, hey, you guys are talking about getting a Goliath Tiger Fist? The J, are we getting a Goliath Tiger Fist? Out of here. Goose or goofs, guys. It's going to be every weekend. Uh, all that. Get, out. get him out of Jeez. here. All that and much more next week on episode 191 of the What's Real Podcast. Hey, everybody. This is Herman James with the What's Real Podcast. Finally giving me something to do here. It's been a while since I talked to you guys, but I'm actually helping them out doing an advertisement for advertisers. That's right. If you would like to advertise here on the What's Real Podcast and join a team, just shoot us an email today. We got cheap, easy, and affordable rates, and we can hook you up with some kick-ass advertisements. Just hit us up at Gmail. It's at whatsrealpod at gmail.com. That's whatsrealpod at gmail.com. Join the team with me, my brother Timothy James, the wizard behind the boards, Cam, the J, and Hey Ed. It's the What's Real team for some advertisers. Hit us up, whatsrealpod at gmail.com today. And we're back, and it is time to talk some NFL. Uh, just rounding out the regular season here with week 18. And of course, first up, we're going to talk about our hometown Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, of course, they were looking at potential of not going to the playoffs going into week 18. They needed either Jacksonville to lose or uh, what was it? Buffalo to lose. Uh, and they needed to beat the Ravens. And of course, they beat the Ravens on Saturday, 17 to 10. And as we do here on the show for the last time this season, the Jay, the good, the bad, and the ugly when it comes to the Steelers. So we'll start out with the good, shall we? Uh, Got to say this, dude. Najee Harris uh, might have had the best game of his career, legitimately. Um, not even stat-wise. He had 26 rushes for 112 yards. It's an average of 4.3 per carry with a touchdown. But, like, he was fucking running with a purpose, dude, like big time. He looked outstanding in this game. Uh, wasn't getting thrown backwards at all. The offensive line was blocking fantastically. Uh, the Steelers running game at this point is absolutely something the teams are going to have to contend with uh, moving into the playoffs. And if they don't, they're making a very, very big mistake because the Steelers are getting old school, dude. They're just going to run the ball and keep the ball out of your offense's hands. I guess it's easy to say when you're struggling and looking like shit and everybody's frustrated. So I get it. I want a disclaimer with that, hey, Ed. But this goes back to three quarters of the way through this regular season that just passed and people calling for Najee Harris's head. And it's it's a known thing that people, when they're talking about the Pittsburgh Steelers and local media and stuff, a good portion of opinion is that Najee Harris was a bad draft pick and all this kind of stuff. Meanwhile, look where he's at now. We all know that the Steelers offensive line since we drafted Najee Harris has been makeshift and has struggled. And then you still have the fact to, to you know, write off your segue, hey, Ed, with Najee Harris as our first good that Najee, after this regular season, as we talk in early 2024, is now the first 
Steelers running back in team history to start his career with three consecutive 1,000-yard seasons. Yeah, so it's not, you know. I What do, the hell are people talking about? There's a lot of people out there that think the Steelers should get rid of Najee. That's and what I'm, I'm not, saying. I don't get I, it. I'm not one of them. I kind of think that the, no. like, like they're like Jalen Warren's proven that he's good enough to be the starter. And I'm not going to argue with that. But I think the power with them is both of them. That's Dude, we, what we've we've argued them. for so long with certain people saying how like the Steelers don't have haven't had that one two punch. Like we, there's like a lot of these modern NFL like normalcies that the Steelers haven't had, like like the Patrick Mahomes style quarterback, or you know these these running backfields, or these super highly like intellectual offenses and things. But meanwhile, it's like, then we get two running backs and, and mugs want to break it up or, you know, do certain things. I'm like, yeah, we have, we need both of them. And we have both of them. Dude, so we I have to keep both of them. I, I don't know how you feel, but I, I obviously everything comes down to money. I would be more willing at this point to give Najee maybe a little bit more than they should and just completely get rid of Deontay Johnson. And just go get another wide receiver, draft another wide receiver, do something else differently with another wide receiver, and keep the running game intact the way that right. it is. Continue to build the line like through the draft and stuff like that. I'd much rather lose because I think it's harder to replace Najee. I was just going to say it's more of a rarity to have a threatening backfield in the modern NFL yep. than finding another receiver to replace Deontay Johnson. Well, and it would be a different story, too, if we had, you know, a fucking uh, C.J. Stroud or somebody like that. Like, But with the quarterbacks that we have, you can't falter in the running game. You can't. You, you're going to need that for the offense to work. So that's why I feel that way, period. Well, I will digress, hey, Ed, and I will throw at you my first good where I'm actually going to throw Mason Rudolph into this uh, right after you're mentioning of Najee Harris, because this was a really tough game to play quarterback in. Uh, for those that aren't aware, this past game in Baltimore was the wintry mix of pretty much just ice rain consistently the whole game. <laughs> so yep. that is a tough game to play quarterback in a wet football. And we were having a lot of fumbles initially and stuff. But my point is throwing Mason in the good Rudolph completed 90% of his passes for 20. This. Yeah. For 152 yards and a touchdown quarterback rating of 115. And I don't know if you saw this or not, because obviously the Steelers are going to the playoffs and they're playing the Buffalo bills and Josh Allen. Dude, in the last three games, Mason Rudolph has more yards, less interceptions, and I think they might even have around the same amount of touchdowns, and Mason Rudolph has a better QBR in those three games. Now, I'm not comparing uh, them and saying one's better than the other. I got you. But Mason's that, playing better. And that's a big stat to throw at. You could you know, come up with excuses for – uh, you know the the Bills quarterback with throwing picks and everything because he's a gunslinger, Josh Allen. Yep. But the fact that Rudolph is protecting the ball because all the criticism with Kenny Pickett as well, and as much as he struggled before getting hurt, the one thing that the Steelers did do this year was protect the football predominantly in, in the quarterback position too with very minimal interceptions. So knock on wood there and dude, as a Steeler fan. The only time they haven't done that is when Trubisky was the quarterback. 
Which is a yeah. I mean, this. Dude, let's not forget talking about Rudolph that the Steelers are not in this position to make the playoffs without Rudolph. Agreed, one hundred. Give the uh, credit where it's due. And dude, I was I even heard something that they were talking about like recently. So you know how Tomlin was obviously apprehensive with with Rudolph. Uh, they they've said that like it's nothing personal. Tomlin just doesn't like that he's not mobile. He likes mobile quarterbacks. And I'm like, yeah, well, I like quarterbacks that can fucking throw. And yeah, Trubisky they can throw can. and that aren't throwing picks. And I don't know if Pickett really can't. Like, I, dude, I'm still there with Kenny Pickett. I don't think he's the guy. Um, I don't know if Mason Rudolph's the guy. I also kind of don't think he is either. But he's more the guy than, than Pickett to me right now, for sure. Yeah, I agree. You know, you're going into the playoffs with both of them healthy, and Mason Rudolph's going to start. So that tells you everything you need to know right there, you know. Um, but also here, as far as, um, you know, the good, uh, I'm going to, uh, this is going to be weird because I'm going to have somebody in the good and the bad this week. And it's TJ Watt. Uh, TJ Watt had two sacks in this game. Um, he had six solo tackles, two assists, and he's gone on. He's the only player in NFL history to lead the league in sacks in three consecutive seasons. Ever. Unreal. He's the best defensive player in football. And by the way, it's I guess it's time for us as Pittsburgh Steelers fans to bitch about this a little bit. He's the fucking defensive player of the year. Don't be stupid. Quit being a fucking homer. Because trust me, if he wasn't the dude, I would say that it shouldn't be him. It should be another player. Like last year when he was hurt, we didn't say, oh, he should still win it anyway. Like, no, we didn't do that. But this year, he's the defensive player of the year. Stop it. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous, but uh, opinion-based, hey, Ed, we say it all the time here on the show. They're, they're, it's like they're like buttholes. Everybody no. has one. No, so. no, no. This is not opinion-based. This is solely based off his stats. He's the best defensive player well, if, in the game. If anything else, if somebody wants to argue with you, just throw that at them. Well, the dude's led the league in sacks three years in a row. Nobody's the ever Jay? did that. Reggie White, and et cetera. You you know this saying, and I'm going to add it here. Men lie, women lie, numbers don't lie, period. Yeah, there you go. So, yeah, that's my other good for this week. I'm, I'm pretty much done with the good, other than just saying the offensive line. Well, you know what? Really uh, talk about credit where it's due. I just, because this is a, kind of a rare player that wasn't on here, but I, I had as a note because he stepped up. Because one of the big things that we've been bringing up, of course, with, with injuries in the NFL, it's just always a factor. And we haven't had Minka Fitzpatrick. And one of the big things that goes with that is that he makes a lot of the calls on the field to help the defense communicate the and things like that. Dot. So we're, we're missing a big part. And my final good is safety Eric Rowe in this game, man. I Dude. am hoping they bring him back. And I wanted to throw this at you, Hey Ed, cause you'll get a kick out of it. I don't know if you heard, but a Landon Roberts said this after the game that they nicknamed Eric Rowe because he's the backup safety, of course, but his nickname's death row. Ah, uh, I got That's it. That's awesome. Well, yeah. dude, I'll say this about him. Um, that's a guy that really shouldn't be here. Okay. And I'm not disparaging him as a player. Uh, dude, and he's one of their best tacklers. He's like, he led the, the team in tackling this week. Again. You, and you know me with football and then like intangibles and shit. Like people yeah, underrate the, the fuck out of tackling. 
My God, tackling. Like, dude, if I was a coach and I met a fucking player that is like a tackle machine, he'd be one of my favorite players. Because I'm like, he ain't flashy. He doesn't get 100 interceptions. But he's a fucking tackle machine. He'll tackle anything. That's the kind of guy you want in the middle of your defense, whether it be a linebacker or a safety. You want a tackler in there. And frankly, once with someone like him in there, it takes a little bit of the onus off Minka from having to make all the fucking tackles. And that's... I'm getting to the point, too, where, it, dude, he's the best safety in football. I know that with Minka. Um, but, like, him having to play out of position all the time is really not fair to him. And I really wish they would kind of figure something out where they don't have to do that all the time. I know yeah. he wasn't doing it this year until a lot of guys got injured, and that's usually how it happens. But, like, I'm kind of sick of it as a fan we're like Minka got to play out of position all the time. It's it sucks for him, right? Yeah, that that would help alleviate a lot if if he had some assistance there. So, um, yeah, I think those are are all goods worth mentioning. And as we break down the predictions, uh, hopefully those factors come into play when we go into Buffalo. But we'll we'll break that down in the near future, Hale. And also, this is kind of a cumulative one. Uh, in the good that I'll I'll put Patrick Peterson in the good because I think it's it says a lot about a dude who's had a Hall of Fame career as quarterback and is literally transitioning to safety to prolong his career. I like when dudes do like do that shit. Rod Woodson did that and ended up winning Super Bowls because he did that. Uh, a lot of credit to him. I respect the shit out of a guy that actually does that and also. It's not an easy thing to do. So kudos to him for actually being able to do it because, dude, he's kind of saved our ass a lot this year playing safety with a lot of the injuries and stuff. It's been extremely important, and it's one of the reasons, too, why down the stretch their defense has still been able to hold it together. Yeah, good good breakdown, hey, you. But now we move off into the bad, the Jay. I don't really have anything in the bad this week. I'm going to leave it at that. All right, I have – Basically too bad and one I could throw in the ugly. So we'll run through it real quick. I'll just mush them together because they're both part of the offensive line. And, of course, my two bads for the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, stemming off of this uh, Baltimore Ravens victory was left tackle Dan Moore. Uh, Dude, just eating alive it, multiple times. He's, <laughs> like, he's not a starting offensive lineman in the NFL. I mean, he is, but, like, he's not. Well, he can't actually pass protect so not at all I, I, nope. i'd be with you there and then of course uh somebody that's been a thorn in our side breaking down these Steeler games from week to week even just on the what's real podcast of course is center mason cole is still just you know more bad snaps more bad reps you know both running and passing uh, Dude, he's just not good I, they're I, just he's not going to be here next season i can tell you that uh, well i think he might be but i'll tell you what i think uh, might happen Everything I have you seen any of the uh like the mock drafts and stuff that people have put up? Not not in detail, no. The, well, everyone that I see has the Steelers picking the Georgia center in the second round. Like I guess he'll still be available there. And I've seen people basically compare him the same way that they did to Broderick Jones last year, where they're like, he's a dude that they'll take. He will not start the beginning of the season, but like third, fourth game in, he's going to be the starting center. And I'm like, do that, please. Because like, I don't like, and it sucks too. Like, I know Mason Rudolph got to be wanting to rip his fucking hair out because it's like, I'm finally getting a chance to play. 
And then when he starts, it's like, it seems like it was clockwork. As soon as he started playing, fucking Mason Cole can't snap the ball correctly anymore. And no. I hope and pray, dude, that that does not fuck them come the playoffs. Because you know how tight of a margin it is sometimes yeah, in playoff no, games. I don't no think a, a botched fucking snap and we lose a game is not how I want that to happen. I'd rather get blown out than yeah, fucking lose all to that shit. Yeah, no way. That would... And frankly, this is just me speaking here. If I was running the team, if we lose because of a bad snap of Mason Cole, I'm fucking cutting him. I don't care. The dude's never yeah. playing here again. I'll fucking deal with the center situation next year, and it won't be with him. Introduce him to The Rock. Yes. For the UFL was was the joke there. Hey, yo. But my my ugly, I'll throw at you because you said you had you had one ugly. Yep. All right, I'm gonna go with this. Is another thorn at our side all year. But my ugly, once again, Presley Harvin is legitimately the worst punter in football. And, dude, I'll tell you right now, uh, speaking of the mock drafts, uh, and I I am wholeheartedly on board with this idea. I forget the dude's name. That's my fault. But he's the Ray guy, punter of the year in in, um, college. Oh, the Australian dude? Yes. And, dude, they were like, in the mock draft that I saw, they had the Steelers picking him in the seventh round. And they were like, instead of the Steelers picking a guy that's most likely not going to remain on the roster, they're going to draft the Ray Guy Award winner in the seventh round, and he's going to be your new starting punter next year. And I'm like, I don't, and I obviously, you don't know if that's going to work out or not because fucking Presley Harvin won the Ray Guy Award too. I don't give a fuck. Draft him, start him, get Harvin the fuck out of here. I'm done with the inconsistency. It's just, it's, dude. You can't have a mediocre to unreliable punter uh, with the the team that we... Like, if you're fucking the Dolphins or the 49ers, sure. It might not even affect you. But I'm hoping, just like I said with Mason Cole, I hope it doesn't come back to bite us in the ass come playoff time. I agree, yeah. And my my only ugly this week, of course, like I said, because I I mentioned he's going to be on here twice. He was already in the good, and he's going to go in the ugly. T.J. Watt because of his injury. And that's Martavius Adams' fault for running into his own fucking player because Uh, you have dudes that are on this fucking team that don't even understand where the fuck they're at on the field hurting their own fucking teammates in the open field like the most dumbass shit I've ever seen in my life. And it's like, and what happens? Our best fucking players hurt now uh, for at least two weeks most likely. Um, and the only saving grace here, the Jay, and you know this as well as I do, is Nick Herbig, a dude who has not got a lot of playing time, a dude who they drafted this year, an outside linebacker, and a dude who T.J. Watt's kind of taken under his wing a little bit. This dude has potential to be a complete fucking wrecking machine, and they also have Marcus Golden, who's played pretty well uh, when filling in for T.J. Watt. So I'm just kind of hoping that it's kind of like, these two guys could bat down the hatches for a week, and if they get a win against Buffalo, maybe whoever they play the week after will be able to get lucky and get T.J. Watt back for that game. That's my hope right now. And also, this also helps too. It sucks that Watt's out, but it looks like Minka Fitzpatrick will be playing this weekend, and the suspension of uh, Casey is over because yeah. it's the regular season. So yeah, back balance to the is out. So I hope that that matters. I really do because – 
we need a break here in this game. And I, like I said, I think Buffalo is a beatable team, but we're going to need some stuff to go in our favor too. It's not just going to be, oh, Buffalo's going to shit the bed and we're going to beat them. Like I don't, we're playing in Buffalo too. So that's going to be another thing that they're going to have to overcome. Um, but I, dude, it's weird not to go off on a tangent here about it, but it's like a lot of people are like, well, Mason doesn't have any playoff experience and stuff like that. But like Mason's tenured at this point. I don't, and he got nothing to lose. So, like, typically where they'd be like, man, this guy, he's going to be nervous. and st-. I don't think he gives a fuck. I think he's yeah. like, fuck it. I ain't got nothing to lose. I might end up playing my way into getting a great contract with the Steelers or another team next year. So, I might as well just fucking roll with it. And at this point, dude, I'd have absolutely no problem with the Steelers cutting uh, Trubisky and give Mason $7 million for a season. I'm fine with that. I wouldn't care at all. To be a backup yeah. to maybe start, I don't know, but fucking roll with it. Why not? Yeah, that's where we're at, man. We talked about the sample size of Kenny Pickett being small, and then all of a sudden, you you know, we're sitting here in 2024, and he's played a hell of a lot of games, and he hasn't yeah. shown us what we expected and hoped for. So, you know, you kind of got to make some audibles here with with who you're going to move forward with uh, as the franchise quarterback within the Pittsburgh Steelers organization. Absolutely. So. That is our coverage of the last final or regular season game for the Pittsburgh Steelers against the Ravens, which was a win. The Steelers finish out the regular season with three consecutive wins under Mason Rudolph and are now going into the playoffs. So let's take a look at the final week of the NFL as far as our predictions go. Uh, and I'm just going to read through these real quick, the Jay, and then you can give us our tallies for the week and then our final tallies for the season uh, to see. Because me and you were neck and neck here, the Jay. Let's see who can actually win. Uh, this is I feel like this is like the first time, too, this has come down to the very final week that we've done. Uh, so that's kind of cool as well. So, of course, the Steelers beat the Ravens 17-10. to 10. Uh, The Buffalo Bills would beat the Dolphins 21-14. to 14. The Packers would beat the Bears to make it into the playoffs 17-9. The Raiders beat the Broncos 27-14. to 14. The Giants over the Eagles in a big shocker uh, 27-10. to 10. Uh, the Seattle Seahawks beat the Cardinals 21-20. to And if you remember last week when we talked about that game, the Jay, we were both saying how literally that game could go either way. And they had a, a pretty damn good game to finish off the season. The Chiefs were going to beat the Chargers 13-12 to in a game that should have never been that close. The Rams, again, just squeak out the 49ers. Backups 21-20. to The Cowboys pounce on the Commanders 38-10. to the Bengals get the big win over the Browns, 31-14. The Lions over the Vikings, 30-20. Titans helping out the Steelers, beating the Jaguars, 28-20. Thank you, Titans. And uh, happy trails to Derrick Henry, who's had a damn good career there. I don't know if he's going to play somewhere else or potentially retire, but kudos to him because he's been a damn good running back for many years there in Tennessee. Uh, the Jets over the Patriots in a blowout, basically 17-3. Uh, the Saints, in the most controversial game of the weekend, beat the Falcons 48-17, to where on the final play, as they were in the victory formation, Jameis Winston called an audible to hand off the ball to Jamal Williams for the touchdown, and the Falcons coach was very pissed about it, and he'd probably be more pissed later on than the night whenever he would get fired. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The Bucks, like, ugh, they won, and they make it in the playoffs and win their division over the Panthers 9 to nothing. And the Texans, of course, beating the Colts 23-19 to to win the division and get into the playoffs. So as we're looking at it right now, in the first week of the playoffs, we have 
the Houston Texans versus the Cleveland Browns, the Kansas City Chiefs versus the Miami Dolphins, and of course the Buffalo uh, Bills versus the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, and that means that the Baltimore Ravens got the first round by. In the NFC, we have in the first round, we have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers playing against the Philadelphia Eagles, the Detroit Lions taking on the Los Angeles Rams, the Dallas Cowboys taking on the Green Bay Packers, and of course, getting the first round by is the San Francisco 49ers. So the J, how'd we do on the final week? All right, did decent. Hey, Eot, um, I have to add some of them up. I'll bring our year-end tallies next week when we wrap up the whole year because we okay. have to add up the uh, the the playoffs too, the playoffs and everything. And I I do have the latest uh, tally before our our winter break, so everything will add up. So we'll get that together. But uh, it looks like we're definitely in the both in the winning column. So we'll take that. Hey, Ed, okay, we'll have official final uh nfl regular season tallies next week uh when we get breaking down into the playoffs which you know how crazy is it as we talk next week just talking out loud the first round of the playoffs and the wild card round is going to be over just like that too crazy time's flying hey yo. so i guess we can move on to our final regular season power rankings What's real nfl power rankings this is where me and the jay break down every nfl team from worst to first and I, I'll be honest with you, I don't know how much movement we're going to have. There's going to be some movement, but there's going to be a ton of these that are pretty much going to be the same as they were last week, I would imagine. Uh, so I'll just start us off the J because it's going to come with sound effects and all. And we pretty much knew that they weren't going to be out of this last spot. But I would pretty much assume that for both of us, number 32 this week is the Carolina Panthers. Yes, sir. Yeah, come on. Bring them up, Jerome. But yeah, one last time. All right. Crazy fucking Panther. But yeah, they stunk this year. Hey, you know, season crawling to a finish with a nine to nothing snoozer. And, you know, for Bryce Young's future career, you just hope they can make a turnaround in the offseason. But the Panthers look like crap all year, and their two to fi- two and 15 record really shows that. Absolutely. And they are one of the teams that we're going to mention that already has a coaching vacancy. So they will be looking for a brand new coach as of next season as well. And for me, uh, this team might be doing the same as well. At 31 this week, this is where I have the New England Patriots. All right, that's where I put the Commanders. Hey, you. They're coming up for me. Uh, at 30, yeah, I, have the, I have the Patriots at 30, just to piggyback you. And at 30 this week, another team that's already going to be looking for another head coach is the L.A. Chargers. And at 29, another team looking for a new coach. That's where I have the Washington Commanders. All right, yeah, just a little bit of a mix-up with the same teams as we do. I have the Chargers at 29 and then the Cardinals at 28. And I have the Cardinals at 28 as well. Uh, And moving on to 27, that's where I have the New York Jets. That's where I put the New York Giants. I have them at 26 because they did beat the Eagles this week. Yeah, that's where I have the Falcons. At 25, this is where I have the Tennessee Titans. Great minder. And at 24 is where I have the Falcons. All right, that's where I put the Jets. 23, this is where I have the Minnesota Vikings. That's where I put the the Broncos and piggybacking you with the Vikings at 22. For the at 22 is where I have the Bears. And at 21 is where, where I have the Raiders. Okay, that works out because I have the Raiders at 20. I'm like, and, and just making you. the top 20 for me, that's where I have the Denver Broncos at 20. 19, uh, nine. I have the Cincinnati Bengals. I have the Seahawks followed by the Bengals. And I have the Seahawks at 18. That makes sense. 17 this week, I have the New Orleans Saints. That's where I have the Colts. I have them at 16 this week. 
I have the Jags at 16. I have them at 15 this week. And that's where I put the, the Saints making it into the playoffs. All right. I have them. Uh, let me see. Where did I put the Saints? I'm an idiot. I might have already said that. Oh, and you, we're both idiots because the Saints didn't make the playoffs. No. Oh, wait. I see where they're at. So I want to correct, correct myself. There. I have the Saints at 17, and I have the Colts at 16. Okay. And then who would you have at 15? The Jags. Okay. Yeah, because that's where I put the Saints. So we're on 14. Hey, yo. 14 is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, that's where I put our Steelers. 13 is where I have the Green Bay Packers. Great minder. 12 is the Houston Texans. That's where I have the Buccaneers. 11, believe it or not, the J, this is where I have the Philadelphia Eagles. Great minder. They dropped for me, too. Yeah, I'm 11 outside of the 10. And for me, number 10, this is where I have the Pittsburgh Steelers. All right, that's where I put the Rams. I have them at 9 this week. Texans at 9 for the J. Number 8 for me this week is the Miami Dolphins. Great minder. Number 7 this week for me is the Cleveland Browns. That's where I put the Chiefs. I have them at number 6. That's where I put the Browns. All right. Number five for me this week is the Buffalo Bills. Top five. I have the Lions at five. You might be surprised at what I did this week, the Jay. Number four, this is where I have the Dallas Cowboys. All right, I put the Bills at four. Now I have do my top three, the Jay. At number three this week, this is where I have the Baltimore Ravens. Number two Cats were. is yeah, the, the Detroit Lions. And number one is the San Francisco 49ers. All right, I had the Cowboys at three, the Ravens at two, and the 49ers at one. So we're both putting our hat on the 49ers and dropping the Ravens to two. I saw a lot of lists with the Ravens at one. Uh, You know, it's opinion-based, can't argue it. I just think that that the Ravens are missing something. I mean, we don't have much of an Example from the last game of the season, of course, because they didn't start everybody and especially MVP favorite Lamar didn't play. But I still feel like, you know, and even though they've been beaten ass, I don't know. The Ravens just to me seem like they might be missing something. That's why I don't see them at one. Dude, I didn't put them at one because they lost their last game, regardless if they played the starters or not. Um, they also lost to a third string quarterback, period. Um, and uh, at home. And another reason why I wasn't going to put them at number one, and this might not be fair, but it is what it is. Going into the playoffs, they're a team that has had the number one spot before. And when they rest players for two weeks, they come out and it's like they don't even know how to play football anymore. So until the Ravens win a playoff game this year, I don't consider them to be the best team. I still think, and even though they beat the Niners, I still think the Niners are a better team than them. I just do. So we'll have to see how that goes. But obviously, it is time to make some wild card predictions, the J. First up is the AFC. We have the four versus the five, the Houston Texans taking on the Cleveland Browns. Who are you going with in this game, the J? Oh, this is a tough one, hey, Ed, and I'm trying to block out my disdain for the Cleveland Browns franchise. <laughs> but, yeah, this, this, this one could truly go either way. I mean, the way that C.J. Stroud has been playing, you, you kind of want to back them. But the Browns, you know, you can't take away from them that they are a pretty consistent and pretty well-balanced team overall. You know, all three main facets of the ball as far as offense, defense, and special teams. All that said, though, hey, Ed, I just have a feeling that there's something special going on in Houston with C.J. Stroud this year. I'm going to go with the Texans. I'm going to go with the Texans as well, and I'm going to give you one reason why. Joe Flacco. Joe Flacco's played very well for the Browns, and I'm just betting on the fact that that ends this week. 
it's going to be a messy game for Flacco, and the Browns ain't going to make it out of the first round here. So I'm going to go with Houston, not trying to play homer or anything. But I do think, and I, I agree with you. I don't think they're, I think their defense is going to have a rough time with Stroud and the offense that they have. Uh, and the game's in Houston. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, next up is the Kansas City Chiefs, the number three seed versus the number six seed, Miami. This game is very, very much a toss up here. And it's really difficult for me to bet against Patrick Mahomes, but it's not hard for me to bet against his receivers. I think Miami's going to pull this one out. It's going to be a close game, uh, but I think Miami wins. And especially with Tyreek Hill going back to Kansas City in the playoffs, he's going to have something to prove. I agree with all that. Hey, yeah, but I'm kind of in the other camp due to these factors, and that's the fact that the Dolphins are really beat up, more specifically in the defensive side of the ball, uh, two of their linebackers and things like that, cornerbacks. Uh, they're just a banged-up team right now where they sit, which is unfortunate, but it factors in. And then there's the fact of the weather forecast in Kansas City being – it's like one of those forecasts that – the weather feels like negative nine. Okay. They were saying the last thing I read, I just think that's going to factor into, you know, we're talking about professional super athletes. Don't get me wrong, but that's still a team from Miami playing in negative nine weather. I just think that's going to be a factor And those little things with this being such a toss up or, or what has me choosing the chiefs in this. And, and one other thing I wanted to mention for this game, because I know it grinds your gears is that this is the first game that's completely exclusive to Peacock. It it's not streaming sucks. anywhere else. So it if sucks. If you don't have uh, Peacock ad, you're going to have to go to uh, B-Dub 3 or something. Or, shit. I just, or I just won't watch it. It's that simple. <laughs> yeah. No problem at all for a Saturday night. I'll do something else. So, uh, Also, of course, we have the Pittsburgh Steelers going into Buffalo to play the number two seed Buffalo Bills. Um I'll be honest, the Jay, not being a homer here at all, I think the Steelers are going to run the shit out of the football, and I think Josh Allen's going to throw some picks like he always does. It's going to be a close game, but the Steelers are going to beat them. Yeah, I, I like the Steelers in this game. Uh, just watching Josh Allen play the Dolphins in the last week, even with the win, it's like we're saying, man, it's live by the sword, die by the sword with this kind of modern gunslinger style of play that Josh Allen does, but – it's those factors that we're kind of looking at being the deciding factors for the win, and that's the fact that Josh Allen does turn over the football. The Pittsburgh Steelers' defense is built around being able to get turnovers. Big time. Uh, I think this is kind of what would be almost like a trap game yes. kind of situation perfect. for Buffalo. Perfect. So, yeah, I like the Steelers. Yeah, I think that's the absolute perfect way to put it. It's an absolute trap game, uh, especially with a big uh, you know, nine-point spread. You know, Buffalo's yeah, given nine I saw points. 10. It's like, yep. man, in the playoffs, dude, like, and you, we've seen this before, dude, where, like, teams, like, on the lower end get into the playoffs, and it's like they look like a different animal altogether. And the yeah, team that you expect to be it's a new season, man. Good, we said that. Everybody's zero it. and zero. No, yeah. There's no more rookies as far as this week goes in the NFL. So that's just how it works. Now we move over to the NFC, and we're going to start this off, Jay, with the number four seed Tampa Bay Buccaneers, playing against the number five seed Philadelphia Eagles. Who do you like in this one? Yeah, this is this is a tough one because everybody – Monday know, night, by the way, very weird. Yeah, like it's it. the, uh, the first Monday night game in three weeks because of this uh, holiday schedule and everything. 
uh, very weird TV schedule for the NFL towards the end of the year here, but I digress. But um, a big storyline in the NFL, of course, towards the end of the, the regular season has been the kind of fall of the Eagles where they're kind of looking shaky at the wrong time. And you and I, have, as lifelong NFL fans, know that momentum going into the playoffs is such an important factor in the sport of professional football. And with the Eagles lacking that, it, it kind of makes me second guess choosing them against the Buccaneers in this game. However, I still think they write the ship. This is playoff football. This is an experienced team that has postseason experience. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers just clawed their way in. Good for Baker and them. I still don't think they're going to have enough, even against uh, an Eagles team that struggled for them. I'm picking the Eagles. This is going to be the worst game of the weekend, sadly. Um, I, I, I agree with everything you said. I'll be honest with you. If Philadelphia was playing any other team that made the playoffs, I would pick against them. But I just don't think Tampa is really going to do anything to blow our minds. So I think uh, Philly wins this game. It's going to be close um, because I don't think the Eagles are that good at all. And it's a night game on top of it on Monday night. So it could go either way, but I'm going to pick the Eagles too. I think they kind of squeak this one out. Uh, Next up is, this is interesting, uh, the Detroit Lions and the Los Angeles Rams. Stafford playing against his old team. The Lions, the number three seed, one of the best seasons they've had in the last 30 years. Uh, It's going to be a good game, but I think the Lions are going to pull it out. Yeah, I like the Lions in this. I think this is going to be a really good game. The Rams definitely turned things around. This is a team I didn't see making the playoffs, say, like halfway through the the season, but they kind of righted the ship, and they definitely have some talent. But nonetheless, I, I like the way that the Lions looked last year and this year. They have a really strong offense, really good coaching. Uh, I'm going to go with the Lions as well. And lastly, the Sunday 430 game, the Dallas Cowboys at home against the Green Bay Packers. Uh, who you like in here, the Jay? Yeah, a lot of storylines. You know, that previous game with the Rams and Lions, it's Goff and versus Stafford, Dan Campbell versus McBay, all this kind of stuff. And then, and then you have this game where you have Mike McCarthy, the Dallas Cowboys head coach, going against his old team that he actually won a Super Bowl with in Green Bay. Uh, you know, you got the youngest team in the on the field and the fifth youngest playoff team in NFL history with the Packers, which is some weird facts to add to this. Uh, and also, hey, these two teams have squared off eight times in the playoffs and each have four wins. So this is some history here. All that said, I'm going to the Cowboys at home. I just This, this seems like it's the year where the Cowboys usually blow a, a win that they should have. They're getting those wins this year, and I think that's the case for the, the first round of the playoffs. And I see... Dak and the boys going over the Packers. Yeah, I think Dallas wins this game, but I'll be perfectly honest with you, the Jay. If this game was in Green Bay, I'd be picking the Packers because the Cowboys are a different animal on the road. And I will say this too. The Packers have some – Christian Watson, their best receiver, is still hurt. Romeo Dobbs is going to be a game-time decision. So now I'll tell you this, uh, and this is pretty amazing, but Jordan Love had a better season this year than Aaron Rodgers did in his last two seasons, maybe three seasons actually, in Green Bay, and they're in the playoffs, something that they weren't, you know, they kind of struggled to do with Rodgers as their quarterback. Um, but this is the game where Jordan Love can solidify himself up there because with all those injuries and things going on, if he comes in this game and beats the Cowboys, 
that's going to put his ass right on the map. And he's like oh, getting yeah, ready to is. be the dude. So, you know, I do think Dallas wins this game, but I will say this. Jordan Love, go out and fucking get it, dude, because you can make your goddamn career with this one game. So uh, it's going to be a fun game, though. I, d- I don't think it's going to be a blowout or anything like that. But I do think Dallas wins at home. So uh, join us next week on the show to see how that all shakes out. That's our first predictions for the wild card weekend, which is literally one of my favorite weeks of football of all year. Like the wild card weekend's always a lot of fun uh, because anything can happen. It really is like the wildest week of the playoffs for sure. Um, so we'll have to see how that all turns out. But we are up against uh, another commercial break. And whenever we come back, it is the debut segment of What's Real Culture. This is all about the movie paid in full and the true story behind it. So stay tuned. We'll be back right after this right here on the What's Real Podcast. Hey, everybody. It's your boy, The J, with the What's Real Podcast. And we're introducing a brand new segment for Season 5 in 2024. It's our culture. It's the What's Real Culture. We're going to take a deep dive into some interesting subjects in what's real culture, things that typically don't end up on the show. It's going to be exciting, and it's brand new for Season 5 of the What's Real Podcast. Thinking of a master plan. This ain't nothing but sweat inside my hand So I dig into my pocket, all my money spent So I should deep up, still coming up with lint so I Welcome back, and welcome to our debut segment here on the What's Real podcast called What's Real Culture. Uh, this is going to be where we kind of go outside of the lines of what we typically do here on the podcast and do something a little bit different. And for our initial segment here, what we're going to be talking about is the entire true story behind Paid in Full. Uh, for those of you unaware, Paid in Full is a movie from 2002 directed by Charles Stone III. Uh, and just a warning, there are going to be spoilers. So if you have not seen the film Paid in Full, Uh, There are spoilers because I'm going to talk about everything that happens here. But first up is the movie itself. Uh, It is a story uh, of Ace is an impressionable young man working for a dry cleaning business. His friend, drug dealer Mitch, goes to prison. In an unrelated incident, he finds some cocaine in a pants pocket. Soon, Ace finds himself dealing cocaine for Lulu. Via lucky breaks and solid interpersonal skills, Ace moves to the top of the Harlem drug world. Of course, unfaithful employees and or rivals conspire to bring about Ace's fall. Uh, the 2002 movie stars Wood Harris as Ace, Cameron as Rico, and Mackay Pfeiffer as Mitch. These are uh, characters based off three real-life people. Uh, Ace is AZ Faison, uh, the Rico character is Alpo Martinez, and the Mitch character is based on a real-life drug dealer from Harlem named Rich Porter. Um, this movie also uh, has a, a roles by Regina Hall and Issa Morales, and it is a movie that was, oddly enough, uh, one of the very first Rockefeller films uh, through Lionsgate, and it was also uh, partially produced by Jay-Z. And Dame um, Dash. And Dame Dash, of course. And this has gone on to cult status. Um and the funny thing is, there's a lot of hood movies. I actually talked about one earlier on the show called South Central. Um, a lot of them are ineptly made. Some of them aren't very good. And then some of them are really, really good. Uh, Paid in Full obviously came out in 2002. It was after a glut of like hood movies from the 90s that uh, really kind of set the standard for that subgenre. 
And the reason why I bring it up on the show is because the real life story behind it is incredibly fascinating. And the movie Paid in Full is fantastic. It's a really good movie. And I remember at the time that I knew it was coming out, I didn't really pay a lot of attention to it. And then I just randomly saw it one day and I was really impressed with it and what it was. Um, and the reason being is because, um, you know, the actors in the movie are fine. There's nothing super mind blowing, but the three lead characters are great. Wood Harris is fantastic as Ace. Uh, Cameron is probably most well known uh, for playing the Rico character because he's considered to be it's it's almost like a mirror uh, into who actually Alpo Martinez was. But for me, the J, the one that always stood out to me in this movie, and I, I think both of those are great performances, but I think Mackay Pfeiffer as Mitch is the performance in the movie. He has a scene in the movie that I'm going to talk about here shortly that is, the, I think it's the best scene uh, overall. Uh, yeah. And what you get in the movie, so it starts out as Ace, the Wood Harris character, is friends with Mitch. And Mitch is a dude out in the streets making money. And Ace is essentially just a poor kid working at a dry cleaner. And uh, it gets to the point where he sees Rich and how Rich is living. And basically, he would run in, in doing his day-to-day -day deliveries and stuff for the dry cleaner. He gets approached by the Lulu character, which is Issei Morales, who kind of befriends him, oddly enough, and becomes his cocaine connection, which brings him into the game. And as the character of Mitch goes to prison, uh, Ace and his connect really, you know, start making money. And when Rich comes home, he puts them on. It also adds the, the Rico character in that. And these three guys essentially work together and kind of become some of the biggest drug dealers in Harlem at the time. Uh, and this is uh, basically the story. Uh, the real life story is a little bit earlier, but in the movie, it starts taking place in 1986 um, when, you know, there was essentially a lot of money in drug dealing uh, for people doing it on the streets. Um, and what you see is basically a rags to riches tale uh, and then the utter chaos and insanity that comes from being in that type of life. Um, so, you, and, and that's one of the things that I really like about Paid in Full because they show you the transformation of the people from, you know, like who they originally were to who they would become. And then obviously all the pitfalls. And, you know, a lot of times when it comes to these movies, they, and people say this all the time when it comes to, you know, the street game, basically, that there's two outlets, either jail or death. And Payton Fold doesn't really go down that path. It does a little bit, but it kind of shows you that there are things that might be worse than death or jail. And it's it, like this story is fucking heartbreaking. The real life story is even worse than it is in the movie. And, uh, but dude, it's, it's a fantastically acted movie. Um, it works very well, even on a low budget. Like I felt like there was, um, like it, it's really weird too, because the uh, Mackay Pfeiffer's in both of them. But dude, I think this works as a really good double feature with Spike Lee's clockers as well. Um, That's a because good call, they're, yeah. they're kind of similar stories, like different stories, but they're based off like street hustlers. And kind of like the life that that they're surrounded with, and uh, there's only one problem that this movie has, essentially, in my opinion. And I don't know if you even thought about this at all, but the movie takes place in 1986, and for a low budget movie, they do a pretty good job at trying to 
keep the time period right with the cars and, you know, a lot of the stuff. But the one thing that stood out like a sore thumb to me in this movie, and I think it's one of the few things that, like, stops this from being perfect, is you'll notice there's a lot of dudes wearing clothes that were, like, super baggy, which was, you know, apropos of 2002. But the movie takes place in 1986, and that's not how people dressed back then. So it's a minor thing. But if you can overlook that, this movie's really, it's an amazing flick. And I think the thing that stands out the most, and of course, you're talking about it being based on on the true story. So it goes from its source material, but that's what makes it stand out. And that's what we always talk about is, is it's different than your typical street hustler drug movie with the ace character because he does kind of just stumble into the whole thing. It's not your typical Scarface, you know, hungry for power. I mean, you know, they do the the whole kind of loop uh, is like the story structure of the film where there's a scene at the beginning of the movie and then they do the classic, you know, after the scene's over, the graphic pops up one year earlier. So yes. it's all the build up year of their rise to, to get them to the opening scene when they're like at the height of their power and everything, which uh, again, just makes the, the story of Ace just so unique because he is an atypical character for this kind of a movie. You know, yeah. typically again, you have the charismatic, you know, take new Jack city and Wesley Snipes character of Nico Brown, like the super charismatic, the, the guy that's, the, the Teflon Dawn on the streets and everybody knows him where the ace character again, stumbled into this and he's not charismatic and all that. He's laid back and, yep. and it's, it's just different. And that's some, some, one of the, the main things that always stood out to me with Peyton fool. And it also kind of leads itself to the way the characters are like rich is like a dude who has a reputation in Harlem already. Um, and ace is just a friend of his, and he kind of brings them into his world in a, in a roundabout way. And they kind of like, they're good friends. Like you can kind of tell that like they were, they were tight. And then the Alpo character, which is Rico in the movie of Cameron was a very useful tool for them. Uh, he was a dude that would kind of like, you know, oh fucking murder people. Yeah, he's the muscle. He, yeah. He really, and he had a reputation in the neighborhood and things like that. And that's kind of the difference in the real life people as well, uh, because, you know, the Rico character and Mitch were out in the streets at a young age and and Ace was not. He was basically a poor kid, just kind of, you know, like working at a dry cleaner, bringing his tips home to kind of like help pay the bills. Uh, and that a lot of that has to do with the real life story as well. And what I wanted to get into here is kind of the to differentiate some of the stuff that's not true and what's actually true here. Um, so the Rico character did not meet uh, Mitch in prison. Uh, they were out in the streets earlier than that. And, uh, you know, the, the real character of Alpo and Rich Porter uh, would get involved differently. Like AZ knew Rich in real life. They were cool from a young age, just from the neighborhood. And uh, the Alpo, which is Rico's character in the movie, uh, would get involved with uh, Ace or AZ in real life while Rich was in prison. Um, and it all came down to the fact that, you know, they had their different teams. Like they made it look like in the movie that like they all kind of bound together and started a team. But when in reality, they were all kind of doing their own thing. Uh, you know, they made it look like uh, you know, Lulu was just solely the connect of Ace's character, 
But in real life, he was a connect for a lot of different people. And Rich already had a connect in the streets. It wasn't like he got put on by Ace. Um, so that, that was where some of the things were a little bit convoluted. Uh, also, some of the other discrepancies in this movie, uh, they don't really get into it. They do talk about it a little bit where whenever they're really making money in Harlem, uh, how Rico wanted to expand into Washington, D.C. That's something that he would go and do on his own anyways previously. And it kind of they kind of muffled the story up a little bit here. So what happens in the movie is uh, at the very beginning of the movie, you see it where it looks like Ace gets shot. And then they go back to the beginning of the story. So what happens one day is the AZ Faison in real life um, it was in one of the most memorable, uh, I guess you would call it like news stories of the year because he would go into a Bronx apartment where there were masked men waiting for him. And there was, uh, you know, they had his, his mom and his sister tied up and basically they want, they're trying to rob him and he gets pistol whipped with a gun. He can't open up a safe. And basically it leads to a situation because he knows who the, the masked man is. Um, but they don't allude to that in the movie as much. But that's the reason why he gets shot. And it was a total of six people in the apartment with him and, that were being held captive. And three of them would die. They would get murdered. And three of them would not. And so basically whenever he went to the hospital... Um, there was like a thousand people waiting outside the hospital to see what was going on with him. And at the time, AZ was completely off of the radar of police. But once this happened, they knew that he was that, that these dudes held him up for a reason. And they were kind of like, who is this dude that got robbed? And it was essentially a situation where there was all these people at the hospital. They were like, this dude's somebody, and we don't even know who the fuck he is. So this crime basically put him on the radar of the feds, of local police and things like that. And it became one of the biggest problems for him, which led to him wanting to get out of it. And it's been said through a lot of different areas that AZ Faison was a snitch. But it's something that everything that I've read and heard, I don't really believe. He was completely forthcoming and said that he worked with authorities to deal with who tried to kill his family. And oddly enough, the person that orchestrated this whole thing was his sister's boyfriend because he knew what AZ was doing and came up with the idea of fucking trying to rob him. Now, you know, they, they don't show a lot of this stuff in the movie. They just kind of show it as a real quick blip and they get the time pattern all fucked up in the real life story. So what happened was is after he got shot, he was kind of like, I'm fucking done, man. Uh, now, he wasn't done completely, but he was done basically being a big-time drug dealer. He would do some stuff afterwards, but he basically quit. Now, this time period led to Rich Porter and, and Alpo, which is the Mitch and uh, Rico characters, kind of stepping their game up in the streets. And this leads to one of the most heartbreaking and ugly stories of all time. Uh, one day, Rich Porter would come home. And his, his family was sitting there and they're like, your brother's gone. His, his younger brother was missing. And they got a ransom note and a call uh, basically saying that we have your younger brother. We want $500,000 or we're going to kill him. 
And the thing is, at the time, Rich Porter was a pretty prominent drug dealer in Harlem. But, you know, in 1986, 87, when you're like, actually, that happened in 89, now that I think about it. Um, it was, he didn't have that much cash. So he came up with the idea of basically getting drugs to sell to pay for his brother's ransom. Um, eventually, he would get another call. And they would tell his family that there's proof that they have his brother and like kind of being like, you're not taking it seriously. Go to the local McDonald's. There's something behind a garbage can that'll be proof. When they go into the McDonald's, the first time they didn't find anything. So then they go back and they found a coffee can behind a garbage can in the McDonald's bathroom that contained two of his brother's rings that Rich gave him, an audio tape of... It would sounded like the kid being tortured and the kid's pinky finger in the, the garbage or in the uh, coffee can. So Rich had the idea of basically trying to get as much fucking drugs as he could to sell quickly so that he could fucking pay the ransom. So whenever this happened with the coffee can thing, his younger sister, Pat, freaked the fuck out. She took the coffee can with the tape and the finger in it. And she ran to the fucking precinct and got the police involved. So this would, she was, you know, she didn't know what to do. She was freaked out and she was trying to get help for her brothers because they knew that he was in a dire situation. He was somewhere bleeding. And little did they know that uh, one of the people that was involved with this was another major drug dealer in New York at the time, the nickname Preacher. And the dude was like, the black arm of death is what they called him on the streets. Now, oddly enough, he didn't know about this in real life. It was people that worked underneath them that were doing this stuff. He had nothing to do with it, and he wasn't too happy about it when he found out what was really going on. But Pat running to the police like this created another problem in New York because the police were aware of who Rich Porter was. And obviously, if somebody gets kidnapped, the police are going to be like, why was he kidnapped? And it's for ransom. And they knew that Rich Porter was a major drug dealer because he had already served some jail time for a weapons charge where, you know, he went to jail for a year. And so that made it so that Rich couldn't really sell the drugs he needed to sell um, in New York because the police were watching him. So what he did was he met with Alpo Martinez and Alpo Martinez had already moved into D.C., and he figured that he could give the drugs to Alpo to sell for him in D.C. to get the money to pay for his brother. But what eventually happened, and they do show this in the movie, even though it's a little bit different, when he meets up with Alpo to tell him, like, I got all these keys and I need you to sell them for me so I can get the money to get my brother, there, an argument ensued where he figured out that basically Alpo figured that Rich was trying to rip him off, he thought, because of the price of the cocaine uh, that, you know, they were dealing with at the time. And Alpo Martinez would end up killing Rich and leaving him in a park in the Bronx. Now, naturally, because this happened, they couldn't pay the ransom for the kid and Rich's body was found. So they knew the people, the kidnappers knew that they weren't going to get their money. And they also figured that if they were smart about it, they might be able to get away with killing this kid because they'll think that if they kill the kid, and put his body somewhere near where Rich was, that the police would assume that whoever killed Rich also killed his brother. That's not what happened. So what, what they realized in the end, dude, was that 
Rich Porter and Donnell Porter's uncle had something to do with the kidnapping for ransom because he, the Rich and his uncle didn't get along. They kind of show this in the movie as well, um, where he wanted some of Rich's money. And that was his big grand scheme to try and get it, to work with a rival drug dealer or at least people that worked under the rival drug dealer and kidnap the kid. But the plan didn't work anywhere near what they thought it would. And Rich tried to handle all this without going to the police. But like I said, his sister did. And this is to this day one of the biggest stories in the history of Harlem because people hated Alpo Martinez for killing Rich because they knew they were friends. So what would happen eventually at this point is Alpo was pretty much out of New York City and just doing stuff in D.C. He would get caught in D.C. for for a potential murder. And essentially what happened is he snitched on everybody in D.C. And this included a guy named Wayne Perry who he had met down there who was basically his enforcer, which is the reason why Alpo was able to make a name for himself in D.C. as a drug dealer. And he, in the process of snitching on people, and he would go into witness protection and he would have to confess to 14 murders that he committed himself, including Rich Porter. So he would go to prison. He would get out many, many years later and he would go to witness protection and in Maine under an assumed name. Well, he apparently left witness protection in Maine and went back to Harlem, where he was at for, from my understanding, to be a couple of years. And then on Halloween night, just last year, he was murdered. And the reason being was apparently he got into an altercation with a guy previously because he was fucking the dude's girlfriend. And apparently he was incredibly disrespectful to the dude, slapped him in the face, like all kinds of shit. And on Halloween night, when Alpo Martinez was driving through Harlem, this guy apparently saw him and decided to unload on him and murdered him. So here we are many, many years later after the 1980s where all this stuff originally happened. Rich Porter was killed in 1989. His brother died at the same time. Alpo Martinez would go into all this stuff, like I said, and he would pass away too. He was murdered. And AZ Faison is still alive. Um, he's the one that wrote the original treatment and story for Paid in Full. Uh, they picked it up and obviously rewrote it under a screenplay and changed a lot of the names and aspects of the movie. And one of the things that AZ Faison hates about the movie, if you watch the very end, they made it look like he sets up Rico. And that never happened. That was something that never happened at all. And he's like, dude, he's like, you got people believing this movie thinking that I'm a snitch and I'm not. Now, another New York drug dealer at the time who has a pretty big name, his name's Kevin Childs, he would go on to create something called Don Diva Magazine, which is a magazine completely solely dedicated to the street game. It's something he created while he was in prison, uh, and it's, it's kind of gotten some notoriety through the years, too. And he has said that not only is Alpo Martinez a snitch, but AZ Faison is a snitch as well. And... From everything that I understand in the story, this is exactly what happened. Uh, before he wrote Paid in Full, he said, I'm not going to do this and tell the true story unless I can get Alpo to sign off on it. And for the first time ever, he spoke to uh, Alpo when he was in prison. And he did get his permission to write it. And he also was able to confront him about, for the first time, of why he killed Rich Porter. 
Um, and it's pretty much the reasons why I told you. And it's a, it's a kind of an awful thing. Uh, the, the whole story is an awful thing, sadly. Um, but he was able to get the permission from, from Alpo to write the stuff, and he wrote the story. It originally became a DVD like documentary that was really popular in New York called Game Over. Um, and they kind of turned that into what would be paid in full. Um, but AZ Faison's completely out of that life. He lives like a normal person now, just a typical civilian. Um, and obviously Rich Porter passed away in 89 and Alpo Martinez was murdered in the streets of Harlem just last year on Halloween. So that's kind of what the true life story is. And there's a few things that I think a lot of people don't realize about why they would make this movie in the first place. Uh, Dame Dash is originally from Harlem and he came up during a time period where these guys were in the streets for real. So he remembers them from a certain age. Um, these guys made a massive impression on the streets of Harlem. They were some of the first guys to have some of the cars that they had. Uh, oddly enough, I don't know if you, you probably don't realize this at all, the Jay, but you know, how dudes drive their car with the seat all the way back. Yeah, of course. That's something that was started by Rich Porter in Harlem. Believe it or not, that's where that comes from. And I've heard enough people say it to where I actually believe that. So it's pretty amazing that something like that would become like a cultural phenomenon. Um, also, too, the way that they dressed and stuff was very influential to a lot of people. Um, there's a very famous uh, guy from Harlem named Dapper Dan. I think we've even talked about him on the show before. Oh, for sure. Yeah, fashion. Uh, where, where he would kind of make a lot of bootleg stuff out of Gucci and Louis Vuitton shit. Um, but he would take real Gucci and Louis Vuitton items and kind of re repurpose them and make them into clothing that, you know, those designers didn't make. Uh, and they were made popular. Uh, you know, a lot of people might remember like Eric B and Rakim and Mike Tyson having a lot of this stuff in the eighties. Nobody had that shit before Alpo Martinez. So they kind of put everybody in the hood onto that shit originally. Um, so these guys not only did, you know, they've become cult heroes essentially from the movie, but if you're from Harlem or New York in general in that time period, their influence is, is pretty amazing and wild considering. So, you know, that's kind of why I picked this for the first segment here on What's Real Culture because I love the movie. The movie's fantastic. And then to find out this whole backstory behind it, it's really one of the most interesting and like harrowing and absolutely heartbreaking stories because at the end of the day, you know, uh, AZ Faison lost friends and family members due to this. Alpo Martinez uh, lost a lot of his life to prison. Uh, couldn't really go back for a long time to where he was from and eventually would be killed in the streets. And then obviously Rich Porter lost his life and his brother's life during a time period too. Um, that like it, and it really shows you this stuff can, you know, like I said at the very beginning of the segment, sometimes there are things that happen in this world that are worse than death or jail. And I think this is an absolutely perfect example of that. And it's a, a story that I think a lot of people, you know, if you're even remotely considering doing stuff like that in your life, like look at what could potentially happen to you, man, because it's not only is it a bad ending for you, but it could be a very, very bad ending for your loved ones and stuff. And at the end of the day, it's like for what? Money and cars and street fame. And when you ask any of these dudes, you know, about that, 
they're like, it wasn't worth it. I should have did something else with my life. You know what I mean? And that's even coming from AZ Faison, a guy who lived through all of this, who wrote paid in full, who kind of seen everything come full circle. But he's also dealt with a lot of death and destruction in his own life. And he's even somebody that's like, yeah, it all happened because of my own hand. And I didn't do any of it directly, but I got involved in a life that I knew there was going to be problems with. Uh, and he learned that the, in the hardest way possible because even the thing that he's known for, he like doesn't even really want to talk about it anymore. Yeah, that's that's what it is. The biggest factor of all that, like you pretty much broke down, hey, Ed, is the collateral damage from, yeah. from the, the, the lifestyle and everything. And it is. It's depicted so well and paid in full. And this was always one of our quote-unquote you know, group of friend classics, like one of our classics. You know, it's really under the radar for whatever reason. It was, I don't really yeah. understand why, but it, and of it course, was. I knew, I knew our guys like Hutch. You know, our, shout out to our friend Hutch and you and our friend Squid and stuff being in the hip hop and in that world too. You find out about it because it's, uh, you know, one of the first ones. It's like a Rockefeller film. You know, I don't know do- how many they they put out under that umbrella or anything, but it wasn't a lot. It's this has also had reverberation into the hip hop community too, and not just oh, the it's, these guys are in like tons that. of songs. That's like when you pull yeah. up the the reference yep. articles, it's like Drake talks about him and this Rich, song, and dude, Nas. Rich, Porter, Rich Porter's name gets brought up in a ton of shit all the time. Like there's even songs that are just called Rich Porter. Like there's you know mixtapes and a lot of stuff because out of all the people, he's still viewed as the hero here. Because, you know, Alpo was kind of a snitch. AZ never stayed in the life. Um, but Rich Porter was a guy that, like, lived and died for it. And, you know, and he had such a massive impact on a lot of people in New York City at the time that, you know, when it comes to, like, that kind of stuff, you know, people, like, talk about Rich Porter as almost like a legend to this day. So it's really reverberated through the years. And again, dude, this is a story that's damn near almost 40 years old uh, because they were doing this stuff in the early eighties, man. And it like, you know, it, it really set like, and there's a bunch of other people just like them. You know what I mean? Like there, Kevin Childs is another one, the preacher crew, the yellow top crew. Um, there's just been multitudes of drug dealers and uh, people with like street legends essentially is what they are uh, for better or for worse. Um, but it's something that, you know, it's dude, they, they even talk about it, uh, in the movie and that's something that's straight out of real life. But, uh, AZ Faison has even said like, you know, this stuff was kind of going on, obviously, you know, drugs have been around forever and people have sold drugs, but once Scarface came out, a lot of people saw that movie and it kind of captivated them to be like, Whoa, I could kind of do this thing too. And New York was the Wild West back then. We've talked about that on the show for a myriad of different reasons. Um, But it really, you know, lend itself to that. And, dude, I found out something that I didn't know that I thought was like this kind of blew my mind. So back in the day, obviously, selling cocaine was a crime. So there was an explosion of crack cocaine that came in the mid 80s. Okay, and, dude, I didn't even know this, but like. Did you know that dudes were getting arrested for selling crack and then immediately getting left out on the street? And the reason being is because when they would take the crack and they would test it, it would only come back as positive for baking soda. So there was like a two-year period 
where dudes knew and understood that like you literally could not go to jail for selling crack. And that's why a lot of dudes did it. And that's why dudes made a lot of fucking money off it during that time period before they started changing the drug laws. Like you literally could sell crack and it was like a free license to sell drugs because addicts wanted it. Loophole. And you can sell it. And if you get busted, your ass is going home. They're not even going to, until they realized there was cocaine in it. That's when everything changed. But I had no idea that that was even a thing until I was kind of doing some research for this segment. And I'm like, wow, like that's, I mean, and then, then they really hammered down on it because we've talked about that before too, where they changed it and it became what they've considered to be racist laws because you would do more time for selling crack than you would for cocaine. So they were kind of like, yeah, anything getting sold in the, the black community or the poor community was something they would absolutely hammer you for, but making money off a rich drug like cocaine didn't, and you could sell kilos of cocaine and get less jail time than you would for having like five crack rocks on you. And they recently changed some of these laws. So it's not as draconian as it once was, but it really shows you like, man, it was a fucked up time in America in the 1980s when it came to drugs, because that shit was like exploding everywhere. Yeah. I mean, that's why it was involving drugs and it was described as almost a disease where it was like the crack epidemic. Yeah, and it's and in the 80s, too, it was a time period where the economy was collapsing during the Reagan administration, uh, where people in many of the, you know, like places like Chicago, New York, and L.A., like people were living really bad, and this was kind of a way out for a lot of them. I mean, Freeway Rick Ross from California was basically known as selling cocaine for the CIA so that they could raise money for the Contras. Um, and you know, and they even said too, you know, AZ Faison has been on record as saying this, he doesn't know for sure, but he's pretty sure that like, whenever you hear the numbers and stuff about like, you know, 80% to 90% of the cocaine being sold in the United States in the 1980s was from the Escobar cartel. And he's like, yeah, I probably was selling drugs for the cartel. And I had no idea. Cause I didn't know how I got I didn't it. No. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you, you never met. Pablo Escobar and shit. So you really didn't know, but like these guys were making big money, man. Like he's been on record as saying he had up to 60 cars at one time. And these are all like foreign cars, not to mention all the money, the jewelry, like the robbery in his house. He was like, they didn't even really, I didn't even have much in the safe at the time. He had like a half a brick in the, the, uh, the thing but they basically only got $5,000, which he had in his pocket, and they took a gold chain off him that was worth about $17,000. Now, it doesn't sound like a lot of money, but keep in mind, this is in like the 80s. We always say so, that 80s money, boy. Yeah, that was when money was real, and this was not his primary stash of money. So like, how much money, did, like these guys probably don't even know how much they made off drugs back then, but it was substantial. And it just shows you kind of like, you know, and it's spread around too. Like I said, they weren't the only guys doing it. But like that time period's also what got a lot of mobsters, like Italian mobsters out of selling drugs because they realized how the fucking law worked with it. And you know this, Jay, it's a, it's a trope in the movies and the stories. And it was a real thing in real life. The mafia didn't really want you selling drugs because the jail penalties weren't worth it in the long run. And that's kind of a big reason why they feel like the mob had eventually hit a wall 
because a lot of guys were getting busted for drugs and a lot of the guys were going away. And that led to a major opening for these guys to kind of fill for in. these independent and, dudes. And yes. And it created different crews and stuff. And all this stuff along with the mob is the reason why they started the Rico statute or the Kingpin statutes to put a lot of these organized crime people away for years. And that would also go into the black community and stuff too. So, you know, it really, this story is just a microcosm in all this stuff that really showed you where drugs were in the 1980s and kind of how the government and police and everybody started to deal with drugs to try and do something about it. And it really changed the country as a whole because how many families were destroyed by drug addicts doing drugs, by selling them and getting caught and things like that. Like it really, drugs put a fucking damper on the country as a whole. And it wasn't just in big cities either, man. We see it everywhere, even to this day where it's kind of continued on. That's what I was going to mention. I mean, we're, we're coming out of a time frame where it's like on a completely different scale than what was going on in paid in full with pharmaceutical companies. You know, we, we kind of mm-hmm. mentioned that like the romanticism of these type of gangsters in the mob in, in modern day, it turned into corporations and portions of the government and stuff like that, Yeah, you know, and, but you know, things, everything finds a way, man, life will find a way and these things all evolve and everything else. And, you know, but but like you said, man, just for for a little cult classic of ours that we found in the early two thousands, there that we always would talk about to to looking into the full true story of the behind the scenes on all this, it, it is pretty epic. Absolutely. So uh, that's the first edition of what's real culture, and obviously, I got to finish this off by saying rest in peace to Rich Porter and Donnell Porter. Uh, unnecessary collateral damage from this type of thing. Uh, It's really sad and it's unfortunate. Obviously, the same thing to AZ Faison's family members that passed uh, during all this as well. And it's a true cautionary tale, and that's exactly why AZ Faison wrote it, to be that. Um, He also has a book available, too. Uh, If you guys are interested, you can find his name. It's A-Z-I-E. That's how you spell his name. Faison, just like the actor, F-A-I-Z-O-N. Um, so you can find him. There's tons of videos and stuff on YouTube. He has a book. Um, and there's a lot of other information and stuff out there. If you guys wanted to dig into it as well, uh, paid in full, uh, there is a Blu-ray out. You guys can purchase it. It's not on any streaming service, but it also, yeah, you know what? TV. I, I just a shout out while you're there. Hey, and I did look cause I wanted to rewatch it cause it's been in some time for the segment and I did find it a couple of days ago. It's, it's on Paramount Plus as far as the okay. streaming service. Yeah. So there you go. It's on Paramount Plus. It also was on VH1, oddly enough, just about a week ago, which really surprised me. Um, but if you guys want to dig deeper, that's some of the stuff you could look into. It's absolutely fascinating. And at the very least, I would highly recommend Paid in Full. It's a, it's a really, really good movie. And I think that uh, a lot of people out there that may not have seen it might you know want to check it out for sure. So... Hope you guys enjoyed our very first installment uh, of What's Real Culture. We will have a new episode uh, or a new segment next week here on the podcast that the Jay is going to take over on. So listen to the commercial breaks for that. And uh, we are up against our final commercial break. And whenever we come back, we're going to wrap up the show. We're going to talk some goofs. So stay tuned. We'll be back right after this right here on the What's Real Podcast. It's the IWC, International Wrestling Cartel's latest huge event 
in Elizabeth, Pennsylvania. It's Reloaded 10.0. Anybody can show up when IWC hits the reset button. On Saturday night, February 24th, bell time 7 p.m. Featuring former WWE superstar Elias making his return to the IWC. Tickets on sale now at IWCWrestling.com. It's Reloaded 10.0. Hey everyone, it's the wizard behind the boards, Cam, doing an ad for my company, High Loft Productions. High Loft Productions is a video production company owned and operated by me, and I specialize in content like music videos, business promo videos, photo shoots, and podcasts like the What's Real podcast. If you're listening out there and would like to work together, head over to my website, www.highloftproductions.com, or find me on social media at High Loft Productions to get started. Hey, everybody, this is Herman James for the What's Real Podcast, and I'm here to just let you know to welcome you to Goofs Are Goofs. And we're back, and it's that time once again. So, the J, what do we got this week on the goof front? Uh, I must say, first and foremost, hey, Ed, what a setting we have today. Uh, Like we were just discussing between segments here, it is like warmer now out than it was earlier today. So the lagoon, you know, there's lightning bugs. Like what a beautiful scene today. This is why I like coming down here at the end of each episode here by the What's World Studios to our lagoon and the waterfall because it is very serene. It is. I know. It's. I I was not expecting this. This is... I mean, dude, just two days ago, this place was covered in snow and you couldn't really go anywhere. And it like was melting that night. And I'm like, this is fucking terrible. We, <laughs> as we said last weekend uh, or last episode, we are firmly in boat season here because it is a fucking mess everywhere. Yeah, it's it's very muddy. And and watch the, the duck shit because there were ducks that kind of made their way down here, which Nuck and I were unaware of last week. Yeah. So. Are they As always, just shit what everywhere. Are, are they yeah, that's what we're figuring. Okay. We're figuring everything out. So glad we'll Nux finally goes. back. By the way, because my God, I didn't think he was even going to be here this week. He was off in yeah. Panama. Yep. For, Did, was for he those... telling you any of the? Was he telling you the stories too? Like we no, can't you know, really repeat he, he them. Never on... does. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I can't repeat them on air, dude. Because this dude was doing some fucked up shit in Panama. Let me tell you. <laughs> yeah. I'll t- we'll talk about it after the show, man. It's, it's yeah, insane. he's actually hitting up the the radio. You know, he talks to us, and I'm I'm even too like far beyond. What, what was that called back in the day? Morse code that he does. Oh yeah, aka David Morse Code, the one character actor. <laughs> David Morse Code. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're starting off, and, and everybody, welcome to Goofs or Goose. I think that that's what we were trying to say. Hey, you know, GRG Gerg One Ninety. First and foremost, this was labeled as VCR, a VHS collector's resource, is one of the greatest VHS covers of all time legendary okay. status and i actually sent this to you to check out the picture hey Ed, on facebook messenger because okay. this is where i found it and it's a vhs video for tree stand safety and the, the cover <laughs> the, is just a dude upside down falling out of the tree it's, stand. It, it's jeff hardy's grandfather <laughs> showing him how to do a moonsault out of a tree However, if you are looking for tree stand safety, though, that that is the cover I do want to see because it's going to be discussing how not to do that. I'm hoping. (laughs) Yeah, I love how in all safety videos they have to show you like the worst thing imaginable. 
It's like, yeah. you know, this, they're not like, this is how you do it safely. They're like, nope, if you fuck up, you're going to get cut in half. <laughs> yeah. And the dude's wearing a fucking Michael Myers cosplay. Yeah. He has like the onesie thing on. The, the goddamn, the smock. <laughs> yeah, the one piece smock. <laughs> <laughs> and that that just reminds me of course I'm telling an inside joke on on a worldwide web podcast but whatever it's the what's real world say that 22 times fast hey ed but I don't I don't know if you remember our our goofy friends and our friend Guillermo was watching a safety video at work and one of our friends shout out to Amadeo Fusca who's my partner in independent films little brother who's an actor and he was in the safety video Okay did you remember that? Because Guillermo is just like, yeah, I'm watching. He was in Indiana and he gets sat in a room and they're like, all right, you guys got to watch this safety video for our company. And then oh, your yeah. friend pops up in it like, oh, yeah, this is Jim. And it's Amadeo. <laughs> you're like, that's that's Amadeo. Everything that you're showing me here is a lie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but first and foremost, let's get into the goofs of the world. I'm sending you this one. Hey, Ed, it's our first crazy ass viral video of the week and of course it's from our friends over at fuck around and find out as this dude's dangling off of about one story over a dumpster and it looks like his uh hand slipped before he was ready to fall and man does he give himself some chiropractic work because he bends himself in half on the dumpster it looks like gumby just literally like bending in and out Dude, I love his reaction because it's like the most violent thing ever. And he just does like a pro wrestling. I just got body slammed cell. Dude, it is one of those things where like when that happens to you, you kind of do like the quick walk off slash befuddlement that you're not going to be in a wheelchair yeah, and then, for then the rest adre- of your life. Yeah, adrenaline goes away and you just crumble. You're like, oh, my whole spine needs fixed. <laughs> yeah. That that gets us started, though, Head. And, and this one is one of the ones we love where the future is going to take us all out, as was predicted by the prophet known as James Cameron in his Terminator films. Uh, but this Skynet. one is, uh, yeah, this one's entitled Controlling Lasers Through Eye Tracking Technology. Dude, just well, watch some of this footage, man. Let me get this shit. I'm taking over the world. Yeah, I mean, this dude's just popping balloons. Of course, he has a Superman T on. Dude, this li- <laughs> he's lighting birthday candles. Shout out to us because this literally looks like a villain that may pop up on the next season of installments that we do of Thursday Night Prime. Yeah, it's he could like, be a, a TNP regular. Like, man. like will Michael Dudikoff be able to stop Laser Eye Man? <laughs> yeah, here in twenty twenty four. Thank Christ. Uh, next up, I ask you the question, Hey Ed, what's y'all thoughts? As it's at some sort of convention where a young lady is scantily clad and she's wearing those shoes that Seth Rollins made famous. Oh, I guess this is a wrestling event. It's like it's SmackDown or something. And this dude just gets lost in her ass. Yeah, he's eating ass like a fucking champ, which is very weird. (laughs) The best part is she has a peach tattoo on her butt cheek because, you know, the peach emoji represents a butt. Yeah, I see so this broad. Th- this is one of them things that makes me. Uh, <laughs> the first thing I see underneath it is a fucking pull. Somebody's like, is he down bad? <laughs> really down bad or nah, he good. And just so you guys know, 66% of the voters said really down bad. And 34%, which undoubtedly our friend Gus would have voted is nah, he good. 
But when, whenever you went to like a SmackDown taping, did you ever see anybody simulate and eat ass or anything? No, that's a first. Yeah, so at least we saw it here on Goose or Goose. Well, let, let's be honest, dude. There's no such thing as simulating eating ass. You're either eating ass or you're not eating ass. Yeah, I mean, he was he, he got lost in her ass. So he, Yeah, good for him, I guess. I He's ask, asking for directions to her, her left butt cheek. <laughs> He's assing directions. <laughs> yeah, let me ask you a few questions. <laughs> but yeah, next up is is another one from Fuck Around and Find Out is this skateboarding individual tries to do a stunt down uh, railings. And when he gets to the last one, he's just abruptly gets wedged to high hell and is the first idiot to break oh. his penis. Yeah. Broke his dick. Yeah. I mean, broke everything. His spine, his neck, his dick, his butthole, probably his fucking, I don't, yeah, he just broke. Nothing works now for this individual. Uh, next up is misappropriation. As nope. we all know, one of our friends, Gorlack the Destroyer, was mistaken for Snorlax. So I don't know if you could follow all this, A.E.L., but your boy, yeah. the Jay's eyes crossed. Yeah, I don't know who Snorlax is, but unfortunately, I know who this is. So I'm going to look up Snorlax. <laughs> it's just funny because they're fact-checking fact for Gorlock the Destroyer. And <laughs> they're putting the disclaimer up there that Snorlax, who was voted the sexiest woman of 2023, by the way, is not Gorlock. If you can understand any of that. Uh... I don't know. <laughs> and and like, cooler. I, I look up Snorlax and all I'm getting is fucking pictures of a goddamn Pokemon. So I'm like, is this like, are they like, I'm thinking that they're literally saying that a Pokemon character is the sexiest woman of the year, which reminds me, I hate my life and yeah. this whole segment now. I'm, I'm over it. We could just quit now, the Jay. Well, you're not going to want to quit because I just sent you. One of the best pictures of early 2024. It's a Goliath tiger fish. And it's a deadlier version of the piranha. It has 32 teeth that are similar in size of those of a great white shark. And has also been known to attack humans and attack crocodiles. It has only and ever been caught by a handful of fishermen due to the danger it poses. Yeah, it can be found in Africa's Congo River. It can grow. So up to you know what we're doing, long. hey Ed, and we just talked to Noctorus. Uh, we are on a mission to provide in our lagoon a, a Goliath tigerfish. So we'll keep you guys posted if the What's Real podcast can get our hands on this. Remember, our bu our budget's replenished here in 2024. Yeah, I'm gonna pass on this trip. You guys can go. Just let me know like how how it goes. But I'm I'm good. I don't need to see anything like this. I hate Mother Nature. Next up was uh, antics by our friend Runk. Uh, this one is a man left bystanders horrified, in all caps, hey, and horrified after he stripped naked <laughs> and jumped into a pro bass shop pond. Dude, uh, he, it, got, he got arrested, of course. Yeah. And the cop was about to use a taser on a wet individual. Yeah. I mean... Huh. Dude, I seen a bunch of people like I seen this elsewhere and it's like 
Somebody's like, what happened to his dick? Yeah, he doesn't have a, a penis. Yeah, or it's uh, he has a micro penis. It's just funny after watching uh, Clerks 2 when you know Jay always does the, I'm not like the other boys and tucks his cock so it looks like he has a bush. It's like this dude yeah. just naturally has like a, a clip I mean, for a cock. Typically, I would call this guy an idiot, but I mean, if you don't have a penis, then you basically have nothing else better to do than go naked swimming at Bass Pro Shops in their well, fucking aquarium. Remember, did you catch that dude? He was in a Las Vegas courtroom and he jumped over the, the stand and attacked the judge. I th- oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You catch that because my wife was yep. watching that. Well, yep. he's back in, uh, you know, getting sentenced to the same judge. And they basically dressed him up like he's a Gotham City villain. Do you see the picture? <laughs> yes, he looks like they got the African-American version of Bane. They got him in the old spit mask and mittens. Like they weren't even taking <laughs> yeah, they, a chance on this they motherfucker. Taped cops on his hands. Dude, it's oh my god. I'm never mind. I'm not even gonna talk anymore because I'm just gonna say shit that I shouldn't say on TV because some of these fucking replies. On TV, we're kept, in the witching hour. Yeah, I don't know where I'm at, guys. So well, let I, me get your take on this. This is an upcoming ACW Nike TN collab. And as it states on here, you can go to a construction site and get this shit for free. But for those listening, they're basically some Nike TNs caked in cement. So yeah. I don't get like, would you go for those? Hey, Eel? Mm, no. I mean, what do you call no. those? The uh, the air the air bombs. Uh, terrible is what I call the, them. But the that's air just hobos. me. Dude, one thing I'll never be on board with literally is fucking them coming and they've done this a few times over the last handful of years where they just come out with fucking shoes that look like dirty or fucked up and i'm like well we talked about those sperm covered ones like it wasn't sperm but it was basically what it looked like that they were just man glazed yeah yeah it's i'm good i don't i don't need to do that i'll just wear my clean white shoes or clean whatever colored shoes they are like i'm not buying it's it's like this is art now I feel like I'm old because it's like back in the day, people are like, you kids are paying for ripped jeans. That's the stupidest thing ever. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. And now it's like, you kids are paying for dirty looking shoes. Like, so it's clearly I'm old or not yeah. stupid. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. You're not, it's, it has nothing to do with old. If you see a pair of shoes caked in common, you're not going to buy them for $250. That's, yeah, I like to think so anyway. And as I do, hey, Ed, I'm going to send you out with our finale to make you happy. Are we ready to see somebody get, you know, basically the equivalent of doomsday device oh, uh, yes. on, yeah, on the side of a pool? So we'll go out with a bang as this is at no context humans as I don't know. Explain to me where these people are swimming, you know, to, to people just listening to us. It, it looks like they're in a fucking goddamn Mad Max prison. Dude, this, this, this dude gets flipped he, off of his friend's uh, shoulders and lands on his neck. A couple things about this. Number one, they're playing the Halloween music to it, which kills me. Uh, and this is like... <laughs> yeah, I had it, it muted. Dude, I forgot about that. <laughs> it reminds me of like... You ever see them videos on YouTube where it'll be like some dude in like a third world country and he literally like makes a fucking spa out of sand? Yeah, with like a like he'll just like a whole day. This dude like builds a water slide, and I'm like, 
contractors can't do that here, but one dude in the Amazon's like, I'm going to build this thing, just does it. Like it's the, like okay, like the water is is the color puce. Yeah, it literally looks like your dirty bath water. There's but it's a wall water. that's made of like rusted copper, <laughs> and there and there's like barbed wire, like I everywhere. Just, I mean, as it states, hey, Adam, we brought this up before. Charles Darwin approves. <laughs> he does. Yeah, you gotta love that. And as the first comment asked, did the guy just die or break his spine? And, and the as answer the J is, says, both. Yes. He broke his spine and then the passed yes. from his injuries. Yes. Yeah. RIP <laughs> to that dude. But as I must say to my brother from another mother, and we're proud to say neither head I head it. Oh, the witching no, hour. We're not, we're not <laughs> proud to say shit. <laughs> yeah, I can't talk. <laughs> but to speak for Cam. Our producer, the wizard behind the boards, and my co-host, Hey Ed, none of us made the Epstein list. So we're very yeah, that's, proud. That's true. Here at the What's Roll podcast for that. But as I say to my Bruhama from another Moomama, between dudes recalculating their spine on falls to laser-eyed individuals to ass-eaten by the merch table at a SmackDown Live event to Snorlax the Destroyer and us getting our hands on a Goliath tiger fish. What can I say? Hey, yet it's always a fact. Goofs are goofs. Don't forget. You can listen to the podcast on all of your favorite podcasting platforms each and every week. And if you're listening on iTunes, feel free to give us a five-star review helps out the algorithm and gets more eyes and ears on the program. If you have anything you'd like to add, you can email us at what's real pod at gmail.com. Once again, that is what's real pod at gmail.com. Uh, also, shout out to our producer, Cam, for all the hard work he puts into the show. We really appreciate him here. And as we know here on the program, nobody beats the Wiz. The J, clang, clang. Clang, clang. Still the podcast tag team champions of the fucking universe. Still undefeated. Never going to lose. That's just how it is. We're going to have these belts forever. The J, they're going to be rusted and fucking garbage before we know it. Uh, but that's about it for us here this week on the program. Thank you guys for listening. But before we get out of here, I hear the Jay revving it up. So the Jay, take it the fuck away. Revving it up by, like my latest, a.k.a. Uh, Jehoshaphat the Annihilator is, is one of my Twitter <laughs> handles. As we're so confused in life as we sit in 2024. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> of the season. Five of the podcast. I have no idea what's happening anymore. It's All my shout outs. I love the show. To the one and only wizard behind the boards, Cam. We appreciate you, Cam. Thanks for what you do in that weekly, constant, consistent 16K sound. And my man, hey, Ed, we are off to a good start, dude. Rolling into 2024. Here's to great success to you and I, our friends and family, and the What's Real podcast. Keep help spread the word. We need to grow exponentially this year. Help us out. Spread the word of the What's Real podcast, peeps. If you're hearing my voice right now, I love you. Stay safe. Stay healthy. As always, you'll hear the J next week. So that's it for us this week here on episode 190 of the What's Real podcast. Don't forget to join us next week for episode 191 and beyond. So stay safe, stay healthy, and stay off the Epstein list. And we will see you here next week on What's Real podcast. What's real? What's real?